welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. Hi everyone, I'm Justin. Justin, welcome back. You are our resident lawyer. Wanted to throw shade at West and say like a real lawyer. <laughs> Family law and criminal law are, are two actual aspects of the real law, so... He's yeah. a real in Denver lawyer, which that, makes this easier for us. That's true. Yeah. We can just grab him, force him to sit down, tie him to the chair. Please help. <laughs> <laughs> Please help is lawyer code for I'm having a great time. That's right. <laughs> All right, Stephen, why are we here today? Well, you went to Burning Man. I did go to Burning Man. And while you were doing that, I was serving my community as a juror. Fuck yeah, you were. There was a lot of thoughts that I was having that was like, this actually might be interesting enough to talk about. So I remember that being on a jury has long been a dream of yours. Dream is too high of a thing, but I've always wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And I've never understood why people hate getting the summonses in the mail. Mm -hmm. I get it if your job is being weird about paying or whatever. But I think in Colorado anyway, jobs have to pay for three days. Yeah. And then if it lasts longer, the state pays you a penance of 50 bucks a day. Um, 50 whole dollars. Yeah. but you know, Don't spend it all at once. Uh, they also bought us lunch the two days we were deliberating. So, okay, okay. You know. Free lunch. Yep. And they reimburse your parking. Yeah. If I had to pay for parking, <laughs> they would reimburse that. I get, like, maybe it's boring or something. And sure it is, but... I think most of the time you get stuck on just dead-ass boring trials where you sit there for two days while two people argue about some, I don't know, contract bullshit. I could be wrong. I don't know. A resident lawyer. Most cases that go to trial, are they interesting? Uh, I would say no. Most cases that go to trial, most trials in general are not that interesting. It's rare that you get something that... It all depends because like, there's a lot of things to, that are interesting to me. and But like, if you're sitting there for eight hours and just listening to people talk, it doesn't matter how interesting it is in the, sub, like, the subject matter, mm -hmm. you're going to get bored. Really? Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. I could listen to eight hours of all sorts of things and be fascinated by them. Well, you could either be the rare person or there there are some things. But for the most part, like, I mean, I've heard just about everything under the sun. Enough of it, you do get bored. Even the most gruesome details, even the most interesting technology, eventually it drones and you start to stop paying attention. What, what I'm taking away from this is, again, my own personal hobby horse is we should not imprison kids to sit and listen to something for eight hours. Because even if it was insanely interesting, it would be horrible by the end of the day. It's too long, yeah. I mean, and I, usually I, it's not interesting. I paid to go to like conferences, like mm -hmm. uh, you know, big skeptic meetings with you know, presenters like... James Randi and Richard Dawkins and whatever. Yeah. But even then, by like two, three o'clock, you're kind of just tuckering out. And these things run to like you know nine p.m. Right. And yeah. it's just like God, it's just hours of listening to people talk. And I wanted to be here. Yeah. And you're all the people I want to listen to, but holy shit, I need a break. I've, I've been um, the same way. I go to those things. I always love them, but I mean, I do get tired. You yeah. need to take breaks. Yeah. The most boring part of this one, I want to start with like selection. Oh, uh, before selection. Yeah. What percentage do you think actually are interesting? Real quick. I mean, I don't actually practice anymore, but I love this stuff. Okay. So I would say at least a quarter have something that I'm interested in. And probably like one in 10 to one in 15 are have like a weird issue that is interesting. Like most of the time though, it, it, it's not. But uh, I just had a case not too long ago. It wasn't my case, but it was something I did research for for a judge. And I sat in on the whole trial and it was a guy accused of stealing cryptocurrency. Huh. That was interesting because that's it, it was weird whether or not it fit the definition of theft because you typically, obviously, theft is like a physical, tangible object and it's easy yeah. to, to say. But for something like crypto where it's it's not, you know, whether or not jurors would decide that it even fits the legal definition and what they're going to do with that, that type of stuff. That, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by it. I, mean, I don't know if I would say if most people would be. 
I think they would kind of roll their eyes at the crypto stuff and just like, or, or, or just be bored by it, confused by it. But I love that stuff. How many things are more like legalism, contract law, that kind of stuff? And how many are more like crimes of passion and people, you know, having high drama? I, I don't know civil very well, so I couldn't tell you how many civil cases go to trial. I, I would have... I know that it's not very many. Yeah. I have the very little that I have worked in civil. I know it's pretty rare that cases actually go to trial. Mm -hmm. Uh, criminal, because there's so many people charged with crimes, there's, um, and there's so many people who go through the system, there are a fair amount of trials. I mean, if you were to go to the courthouse on any random day where you, uh, had your trial, uh, there's probably at least one going on somewhere in the courthouse uh, at any given time. So, there's a fair amount in total, but that's just, it's a very small percentage of the total amount of charged crimes. Maybe people just hate being taken out of their comfort zones. Their ruts go into work every day, come back home. They're like, oh no, somebody moved my cheese for the next few days. Maybe it's the boring aspect. Maybe part of it actually might just be dread of, if it does happen to be an interesting case, there's, without bearing the lead, like the outcome of what we decided as a group was going to be, do we either put this dangerous person with disregard for human life and rule that he should be put in prison or do we uh keep this you know possibly innocent person out of prison yeah right? yeah or do we let this uh dangerous person run around the streets and to strike again it was a big responsibility it was interesting didn't your wife get called not too long ago yeah. and uh she she was asking me justin how do you, how do you get out of jury is, there, <laughs> is there a way to get out of jury duty and i was like well i would never ever say that this is what you should do to get out of jury duty but hypothetically you know if you want, wanted to get out of it you know, maybe do this. Why? Uh, why did she want to get out of it? She thinks it's boring. Yeah, and and well, huh. the thing is, her work would just pile up and wait for her when she got back, right? Right. She could offload some stuff for a couple of days, but my stuff was just like I get back and like what I miss. Yeah. You know. All yeah. right. Cool. I'll just pick this up and keep working. Right. Yeah. There's a big difference between jobs where your stuff will be picked up by someone else and jobs where I'm just gonna have to go into fucking insane crunch mode. Yeah. When I get back. Yeah. There's a lot of people who get excused you may have seen this in jury selection i'm not sure but a lot of people get excused because they're self-employed mm. and so the, if they don't work they don't get paid there's yeah. no like oh we'll pay you because it's jury service and therefore we're required to pay you under state law you just won't get money and work won't get done so that's part of it too yeah i think there were three jury selections worth of people that got called in that morning one of them after like an hour and change like all 40 of them, I don't know how many people are, maybe 50, 60 are called for each case. Mm -hmm. So this room has, you know, almost 150, 200 people in it. Mm -hmm. And like a third of them are like, all right, your guys' case was all postponed. Mm -hmm. uh, Y'all can just leave. And so mm -hmm. a bunch of them just left. And then you fill out like this little 13 question questionnaire, like, who are you? Where do you live? Anything else you think we should know? And then one of them is like, why do you think you shouldn't be able to serve jury duty? You know, then they go off and tabulate those. I think actually both the prosecution, you tell me if I'm wrong, both prosecution and defense get to look at all of those papers, right? Yeah. And so if they see like, I'm a nurse and it's like, okay, yeah, you can go. Because at some point they came back in and they're like, all right, jurors. And they read a bunch of numbers. Y'all can go. Mm. And it was maybe 20 something people. And it, maybe 15 of them were women. Mm. And this guy was like, well, that seems unfair. And the little women go. And I'm like, you know, healthcare is disproportionately female. I'm mm -hmm. just guessing. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know any of those people, but that seems like a plausible enough guess, right? Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with with gender. I mean, they would never just excuse someone, obviously, because of their they're female or or whatever. But um, it, it, people have all sorts of different situations, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it it's it might be a little strange that most of the people excused were women, but I I highly doubt. Like, even if you're a nurse, you're probably not 
going to get excused just because of your job unless it's like like I said unless you're self-employed um sometimes what if it's like a I'm the mom of three kids well that's and I can't yeah. afford a babysitter right. that's the th if you're taking care of either children or someone elderly and there's no one else who can do it that's one reason you get excused. If you're a full-time caregiver and no one else can. There was a guy who was like, I got to pick up my daughter every day from school. Yeah. You know, school started this week and that was all the nudge they needed to give him to go home. It is like 50 or 60 people get in for each case and they only want 13 people at the end of it. So they can toss people out for the littlest reasons. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you really don't want to be here and you're not going to pay attention, good, go home. I think not going to pay attention isn't good enough. But then you know, like there's one woman who she was like, I, I have narcolepsy. I was falling asleep a little bit during parts of this. Like, mm -hmm. and I kind of believed her. And if not, like, all right, that's a a huge enough lie that like if you you just really don't want to be here that's fine you know as a narcoleptic she should have an actual modafinil prescription <laughs> right yeah i mean hopefully she's not falling asleep at traffic lights but like i said there were about 50 of us then they bring us all into the courtroom and then there's like the the benches and then there's like little jury seats at least nine of the 13 that they had sitting up there uh stayed like as actual jurors mm -hmm. so i think this might be an insider tip is that if you if you're brought in and you get one of the low numbers, one to 13, you're probably going to be a juror at the end of this election. Yeah. Yep. Unless you say something stupid. Yep. That's, yeah. that's Why true. Is that? Well, it's, um, they just, they randomly pick the order. They have what's called a presumptive panel. We're going to start with you guys and we're going to find out amongst you if there's anyone who can't serve and then we'll replace you. So I, I think it's just more of a process of like, let's start with people who we are assuming are going to be on the jury. And then we'll eliminate them when we find out a reason to. And so, the, but the people who end up in that presumptive panel are the ones who are, if you're seated in the jury box when you're first brought in, at least here, I can't, I don't know about other places too much, but um, yeah, if you're, if you get brought in for jury duty and you're sitting in the jury box, the chance that you get picked is way higher than if you're in the gallery in the back. Okay. You probably aren't going to get picked if you're back there. Steve, you said there was a paper thing saying these are reasons I should and reasons I shouldn't serve. You get that before they sit down in the jury box, right? To weed out people? Yeah. The, those those papers, you should have filled that out first thing, right? Mm -hmm. When you got in, the, they gave it to you. And you look at those too? Yeah. Every, everybody looks at them. What are some common reasons you would reject people for that? Why we would send them home? Yeah, based on the paper written in answers. Uh, well, a lot of it is life circumstances. I am going on vacation out of the country next that, week, this week. But that's week. decided by like the court and not by you personally, right? Right, yeah. What are things like when you personally would decide on the paper that you would look for? As a, a defense attorney? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would look for bias. That's the big one. Yeah. It's hard to make the argument if you feel someone is probably biased. But if they say, you know, if there's a I don't know if you had a question on there, something along the lines of, you know, your trust of police officers. Yeah, your general feelings about about police officers or something was on there. And if they give an answer, that's something along the lines of, well, if if they're arrested, something must have happened. If mm -hmm. if a police officer says it, I'll I'll believe it. Mm -hmm. Or if that you get the opposite stuff. of all cops are bastards. Right. 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 Yeah, as a prosecutor, that's what you're going to look for to to get rid of people because because that is what they're testing. There's the life stuff gets in the way. We excuse those people because they're not going to be focused on the trial. But then there's the people who are biased towards one side or against one side. We really just want people who have an open mind and are going to listen to both sides and then decide based on what they hear in the courtroom and nowhere else. And that's really what they're testing for. Were you in the jury box? Yeah. It was interesting. You know, the, the prosecution and the defense get to ask a litany of questions and they usually start with people in the box, but then they'll let look kind of go through the, the rows too. Mm -hmm. I guess in case anyone has a really compelling answer. Um, 
But it was in, you know, like some was of the it questions like directed at you specifically, or was it like for the whole jury and raise your hands? They would do. Uh, they might have done a couple of hand raises, but they would do individual questions for everybody. Okay. The one that I was asked was kind of annoying. It was a follow up of I was number six. It was follow up the question number five got, uh-huh. and I just said their answer. I agree, yeah. and it was like, is there any, ever anything someone can say that would justify an act of domestic violence? Yeah. And it's like no, you know, like. But give me give me a heart from a hard question. Come on. Yeah. And then that's the next person how can tell someone is lying. Yeah. And like then the next five people give a bunch of stupid answers. And I was like, I wish you'd ask me that question because the answer is you can't. Yeah. Some people are really good liars. Yeah. And some people like I like to think I'm a fairly uh, uh, honest and straightforward person. Mm-hmm. I'm fidgety. I hate eye contact. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I checked every box that these people were saying. Oh, that's how you can tell. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're nervous. They're they're not looking at. And I'm like, I don't do. I, I don't sit still. I don't look at people's faces when I talk to them. Mm-hmm. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but finally, someone did say it's like some people are really good liars, and yeah. so you can't. And then they also asked. If a cop gave testimony, would you weight that higher than a civilian's testimony? You know, do you think it'd be any more likely to be true because the police officer said it? And some people are like, well, my friend is a cop and I trust him and his cop friends. Absolutely. I think that they're, they're trained to be more astute in their observation. Like he gave like a, a sound sounding reason, mm-hmm. but not a good reason. Was he um, excused or? He was, I ah, think, yeah. Okay. Um, and he, I think he was juror one, actually. Uh, this was my experience too. And I want to ask Justin about this. Why the fuck? Like, if you had a question like that, I would think everybody should answer it. And then you can take among those answers, like, the ones that are good and the ones that are stupid and remove the stupid people. But they just, like, randomly ask the question for, like you said, two, three people. And then a different question to two or three other people. What is this weird stochastic filtering rather than having everyone answer the important questions? I think a lot of it is is time. You only are given so long to, to voir dire. You only have usually, like... Anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes for lighter cases up to Time like to what? V- voir dire. You used the magic word there. Jury selection. <laughs> Jury selection. Yeah. Voir dire. Yeah. So and at most you'll get like 45 minutes each okay. side. And so you really are just limited. And there's a lot that you want to ask because there's a lot of issues in, in your case that you want to weed out jurors because of. You also have some info on, on the people individually because you got those papers before you start asking questions. So for some people, you already basically know what they're going to say. And it's like, okay, this, that's good enough. Okay. You know, I don't need to drill them on this. I know that they're not the type that I need to focus on and get rid of them. Okay. But this other guy who, you know, said he gets his news from Fox News and trusts cops absolutely well, I'm going to try to get him to, to slip up and say something biased against me that I can use to say, judge, this guy's clearly biased against my client. I, I need to get rid of him. Okay. So in voir dire, you're specifically looking for people that you have suspicions that you want to get out of there. Right. Ah. That, and that was that was clear from their questioning, too. It was kind of fun. Like, the, the defendant was going to plead the fifth. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of questions from the defense of, like, how would you react if neither the defendant or I, the, the defense lawyer, said anything the entire trial? If we just politely sat there mm-hmm. and people are like, well, that'd be really weird. And I think that they, cause they were, they were told, and this was, you know, read by the judge at least two or three times that lack of testimony or the, 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 you know, you'll probably know the exact verbiage, but the fifth amendment reading that everyone gets someone who is refusing to give a testimony that cannot be considered. Evi- it is not evidence. cannot be considered evidence. It is not, it is proof of nothing. Right. That was interesting just to me because in real life that is proof. That is evidence of something, right? If you refuse to answer. Yes. If I if I if we're at a less wrong meetup and I say I saw Enoch kick a dog outside and you say no comment, <laughs> like that looks really sus to the group, right? It it does, but I kind of hate that because I might say no comment for various reasons. Right. It just it, it, I think it is just a thing in real life where that is 
that is weak evidence at, at the very least weak sometimes it's strong at right? the very least i would like to say you know fuck i'm you. not and yeah fuck you i'm not answering this specifically for non-dog kicking related reasons yeah. which i can't get into because it would compromise people that i love or something or just like i refuse to engage in your your slanderous bullshit i'm not going to spend my time def- fighting you know defending myself right that could work too yeah yeah you know the defense asked a lot of people like you know how would you feel about that and i think people were like afraid of getting in trouble because some people were just like i think i would have a hard time maybe being perfectly fair there like they were hedging around other than saying so if someone had said yes i think it's impossible that someone wouldn't speak in their own defense they would be excused but would they get in trouble for saying for like refusing just to commit to their heart the text of the fifth amendment if the judge says this can't be evidence, whatever, yada, yada. And they're like, I disagree. I know you say that. I'm supposed to believe that, but I can't believe that in my heart. I will consider it evidence that they're guilty if they don't speak in their defense. The prospective juror can't get in trouble for being honest, can they? What do you mean in trouble? That, that's what I'm saying. Is that they People tiptoed around their, their answer. rather than As if they would straight. like get a fine or something? As, as if they're going to get a fine or they're going to oh. be held in contempt of court or something. And it's like, no, you'll just be Oh my God, out. no. Yeah, short of pulling out an officer's guns and open firing you're not going to get in trouble for just about anything that you do or say in that court. I triggered the alarm in the building and I, I mean, didn't get in trouble. There, there are people who don't even show up and they don't get into trouble. Oh yeah. shit. Yeah there's yeah. some guy who just mosied in like 45 minutes late. And yeah. I've already been through one round of dismissals man. I don't even know if you're, <laughs> you're going to be in this. He but... had to use the bathroom really bad. Yeah I mm-hmm. guess. Maybe they really wanted to be on the jury or something and were hesitant to be honest because they knew they would get him kicked off. The thing is is like I, I wanted the experience, I was I was already satisfied with just being through selection, right? I thought that was interesting. Oh, and I didn't say, like, why I like this. So I, I'm assuming other parts of the, the world take after this, but I really just, I actually sincerely love the idea. Like, you know, the U.S. justice system has lots of, has shortcomings. There, there are lots of legitimate gripes to have. But one thing I really like is that, like, your guilt or innocence for a crime that you're being charged with isn't determined by, like, the cop who arrested you. Mm-hmm. It's not determined by the town sheriff or even, like, an elected judge, right? It's a random group of your neighbors. I think that's just about the best way to do it. I think it's better than having the cop or a judge do it because it's harder to corrupt 12 people than it is to like corrupt one cop or to have a judge with a an agenda, you know? Right. But on the other hand, I'm like, those 12 people don't really have any expertise in the law. They may have never gone through uh, the Guild of the Rose or read the sequences. So they are corrupted by human irrationality and bias and stuff. Like, I wish, I wish there was some class of like professional jurors that we could trust that we could somehow verify they haven't been corrupted and also that they can think well have passed a certain sanity threshold and can be trusted to make these sorts of decisions i could see that actually being the optimal solution i'd be curious for your thoughts on that justin but like yeah the idea of having people who are trained in the law but don't have any stake in any of the cases yeah and they're like yes we we get paid to come here we're not like incentivized to deliver it for you know extra time or whatever because we're not paid you know there's some some base rate or something right Mm -hmm. and they're they're better trained than the average than the average citizen but i guess how do you keep those people random you know i mean you have several thousand of them and then you pick 12 13 at random rather than uh someone would have to buy bribe thousands of people as opposed to just one judge or one cop what do you think well so first i would say that the voir dire process weeds a lot of those people out that you're you're talking about people with obvious biases i mean there there's still biases of course but with biases where it is clear that it's very unlikely this person's going to overcome it and listen to the evidence, those people are typically weeded out. If you are uh, not of sound mind, it's not exactly hard to tell based on their answers, on the questionnaire, based on 
what they say in response to questions in court. If they have, are like hard of hearing, we'll know about it. You know, if they don't speak English, we'll obviously know about it. I mean, there, there's... They did ask out loud in English, does anyone here not speak English? Which is hilarious that they do that. Um, <laughs> they didn't ask it in 10 different languages. Yeah. <laughs> and did anyone like, say, yes, I, didn't, I don't speak any English? No one raised their hand. Yeah. Wow, amazing. <laughs> I mean, couldn't they just say, if you understand this English sentence, please raise your hand? And whoever doesn't raise their hand obviously didn't understand it? That sounds like a much smarter approach, but I guess the person who wrote the <laughs> well, question didn't think about and it. Then, and then 99 out of 100 people raise their hand, and the one person who doesn't speak English raises their hand, too, because they're like, oh, I... I think yeah. I'm supposed to yep, raise my hand too. now. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, so so I get what you guys are saying. I, I will say that most of my trial experience was actually as a bailiff, not as an attorney, because I I just I worked with judges. What does the bailiff do in this county or in this in this area? The bailiff shepherds the jurors. They participate heavily in just basically grabbing you from the the jury room bringing you up to the courtroom, placing you in the right place in the courtroom, um, and then bringing you back and forth to the jury room for like breaks and stuff. You just have a lot of, end up having a lot of conversations with them. Uh, one thing that I've learned over talking to hundreds of these people is that the average juror is a lot smarter than you might think. Hmm. Um, okay. First of all, you ha in order to even really be picked, you have to be, you have to have either like filed your taxes, hmm. you have to have like some sort of like voter registration, something where it's like clearly your shit is a little bit together. Okay. Then a lot of the people get weeded out, as I already said, through voir dire. And just like for whatever reason, most jurors that are selected are fairly intelligent people. They're, they're not necessarily brilliant. They're going to blow you away with their, you know, with their intelligence or anything, but they're hmm. not dummies. Um, you that know, was my experience too, when I was on a jury, actually. Yeah. So well, this makes me feel better about my fellow Americans in general. Yeah. I would say that the, the perspective of jurors by most people is lower than how quality they actually are okay. in general. Cool. Yeah. I liked my group too. There were three kids within like a year or two of age 20. One of them I know was 20 because she couldn't even go home and drink after like every day of how, you know, arduous this was. So by kids, you mean young adults. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I'm just more like, man, you can't even go home and unwind with like a shot of whiskey after this. That's a, that's a drag. She has within her power one twelfth of the, the weight to determine the, the life outcome of this person, but mm -hmm. not, the, not the responsibility to go home and buy a <laughs> beer on the drive home, right? Our laws are fucking bullshit. <laughs> but... I mainly also just think that because none of them got my Simpsons references or anything. This was not a straightforward, you know, oh, he obviously did it. Now we just decide how guilty he is, right? The way I put it is like they didn't have like the politeness like they did on the episode of Simpsons where they're hitting mailboxes from driving down the driving in the street and the guy in the passenger side is hitting mailboxes and the guy in the rear is holding a camera and saying, man, videotaping this crime spree is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so since he didn't do that and we didn't get that tape, we just had other stuff to go on, mm -hmm. right? None of them laughed is the thing. No. Like, it, was, it was like only like the, you know, the guys who were like 40 and up who, who got the joke. Right. One last thing before we move away from voir dire. Um, yeah. It was my experience that like, as you said, there's a limited time. At the end of the time, they they got rid of one, two more people and pulled people from, from the excess and put them in. Those guys didn't get asked any questions at all. They're just like, well, we're out of time. You're in. And I was like, it seems a little fucked up. Yeah, that, that generally shouldn't happen. Usually what I see is that um, you... I, I think it's because it is a pain in the ass, but like you bring new people in, usually 
they'll allow you to voir dire those people. I think the difference is judges are different, so they'll have it done different ways. Some will have you just do the presumptive panel. Mm. So that's like the first 15 or so people. Mm -hmm. After that, when new people are brought in, you can voir dire that person and that person only because you've already done everybody else. Some are like you're you're voir diring everyone. And if you don't get to them, you don't get to them. Yeah. yeah. You know, tough shit, basically. So they're probably the latter. Your judge is probably the latter. Yeah. How did you feel about your interrogation and acceptance into the jury process? Um, fine with it. You know, like I said, anyone who had a plausible reason for like, at least that, that was asked and given the opportunity to say like, I, here's why I shouldn't be here. The case was anticipated. Like that's the other thing they say is like, this is anticipated to run. The judge thought we'd be done by Thursday. You know, anyone got any stuff going on? This guy's like, well, I got a cardiac, cardiac exam scheduled for Wednesday, Mm. but it's not all that serious. I guess I could move it. And the judge is like, I heard the word cardiac. We'll take that into consideration. <laughs> and they let that guy go. You know, like uh, there was one guy who had shoulder surgery scheduled for Monday. Uh, he actually ended up being on the jury. So they, they pick 12 people to be, well, they pick 13 and there will be 12 deliberating. Yeah. At the end, you've got an alternate in the event that one of us gets struck by lightning or, uh, or says the words jury nullification. Right. I want to ask a lot about that, but um, you know, if, if one, if one juror can't proceed, then, then the alternate comes in and, we didn't finish liberating until Friday at like two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And if we had taken until five or six, the alternate would have had to come in. Cause this guy was, his surgery was like eight in the morning on Monday. Yeah. Wow, that's a big risk that they took keeping that guy. I thought so too. But as, as the case started, they dismissed everyone else. Like, all right, you guys are our jury. And then not even a bathroom break. It's like, all right, now we're starting the trial. He, he reads the charges. I'm trying to remember them all correctly. There were nine charges. There were two alleged victims so four of the charges were just duplicates. One charge was illegal discharge of a firearm. And then there was the defendant, the defendant's ex-girlfriend, and the, the ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend. There was, I think, is it like assault after deliberation? Is that a charge? Everything was in the first degree, by the way, too. So it was like first degree assault. One was with, an extre- with extreme indifference and one was with intent or something. Because you said when we were talking about this earlier, like, they were already texting back and forth at work, and this guy went to his house and grabbed a weapon and then went. So that allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. So that I mean, that's default first degree at that point, right? That's uh, what the prosecution was arguing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's not def- nothing's default, but okay. that's that would be the argument. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so like that. If you have to go and retrieve a weapon and then go to the scene of a crime, it's pretty obvious at that point that you're thinking about it beforehand, planning it out. Yeah, I, I'm going to just say, unless I'm unless I'm corrected, it was assault with extreme indifference. Uh, or attempted assault with extreme indifference, attempted uh, assault with deliberation, attempted murder after deliberation, and attempted murder, uh, extreme indifference, both times two, or all of those times two. Yeah, one for each victim. Yeah. We decided as a group that he wasn't guilty of either attempted murder after deliberation, hmm. even though he went home and got a gun first. Hmm. Here's the case that the prosecution laid out. It was a bad breakup. He had like a seven-year-old daughter with, with his, the ex-girlfriend. He had just served her papers like a week or two before this. Divorce papers? No, uh, custody papers ah. for the kid. Okay. You know, who knows exactly why and what all the stuff was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, if he served her custody papers, does that mean they were beginning the process of fighting custody? Or he had, had he just like won? They just started starting the process. Okay. Yeah. This uh, is the defendant? Yeah. Okay. So he no, no, no. This is that. the guy who was, who was charged with trying to murder them. The defendant. Oh, this is the defendant. Hold on. Defendant. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the defendant the is the guy who's charged with trying to do murder. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I keep thinking defendant is like, I was trying to defend myself from the bullets. But <laughs> <laughs> So he, the guy, the, the defendant's at work 
and we, we get like copies of like the call logs, all the texts and we can see, and then they had like some expert come in and show us. And he was great with like how he said, like, this is probabilistically where things are. This is like the terminology. Let me define these terms. And it showed like all these kind of cool graphs of like, based on where like the pings are in cell phone tower locations. Hmm. And if they hit like another one within so quickly, you can tell roughly it's moving that direction. Mm-hmm. And so it's extremely reasonable to assume that the phone went from here at this time to here at this time to here at this time. Mm-hmm. He gets a call from the, from his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend while he's at work, then texts him saying, I'm not going to use all the language that they used in the court, but he said, stay up. I'm coming over mm-hmm. uh, in a threatening manner. Mm-hmm. It said, stay your bitch ass up. I'm coming. Okay. Um, <laughs> Then he goes home. Well, rather, his girlfriend's phone travels from their home to, to his work. Then they both go to his home. And then the girlfriend's phone goes to the victim's house. So there are like, a I don't know, six or eight witnesses. Only one was a witness to the crime. And that was the ex-girlfriend that called the cops right after it happened. Mm-hmm. And she was the first one. And jurors are allowed to ask questions. But it was the first one. We just sat down. And like I didn't. And the person who gave testimony was the new girlfriend or the ex-girlfriend? The ex-girlfriend. Okay. New girlfriend never came. Okay. We're not supposed to speculate on why. Oh, because she probably had a separate trial. It's possible. Okay. She could have also been pleading the fifth. I think they might have been married at this point now. If you get married after, like, so say we committed a crime last summer, and then we're going to trial this summer. If we get married between that time, we can't we can't testify against each other at trial, right? Or we can't be compelled to testify against each other? You, well, if you're both can, like being charged with a crime, you can still plead the fifth, so you wouldn't be forced to testify. Because uh, anything that you would say would be incriminating. So yeah. they, they would separate the trials. Okay. You, yeah, you wouldn't. But as far as like if you're admitting guilt to a, a spouse that has nothing to do with it, if you're not married at the time, then those rules of evidence don't don't really apply to you. You, oh. have, to, you have to be married at the time. Okay. Like I think most cases that go to trial, no. at, at least from my conversations with our resident attorney. Wait, most cases go to trial? Most ca- no, most cases that do go to trial. Oh, that do go to trial. The person's guilty. Okay, yeah, yeah. Is in, that seems to be because more, you know, prosecution. I represented defense. them. I promise you, most of them have done something. They may not have done what they're charged with. That's a that's a big issue sometimes. But they're mm. usually it's not somebody who is just like wrong place, wrong time. That's pretty rare that you get somebody like that. It does happen, but it's it's rare. Yeah, I spent the entire week agonizing over what the hell reasonable reasonable doubt could possibly mean. Did they give you the definition? There's usually a, a, a definition that goes along with it. It's not the greatest, but... Yeah, it, it's the, it's it's reasonable doubt when you taboo the words reasonable and doubt, right? Well, it, the actual... It, the instruction usually is that it's something that would cause hesitation when considering matters of importance to yourself. Oh, they didn't give us that, actually. Huh, okay. That's uh, usually, that's pretty standard. Huh, yeah, I mean, that might have been nice just to get something to put it in, in ironclad words to keep looking at, because I was like, all right, well, I can rule out then for like, you know, this is all like a simulation and, you right. know, this this is all whatever. Matrix Overlords fucked with it. That's not reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Like a perspective framing is possible, but it seems unreasonable. What happens is that his current girlfriend's phone goes to the scene of the crime, to the proximity of the scene of the crime. The first witness, the ex-girlfriend, during her testimony, she had said they got a call from that from the current girlfriend's phone from him mm-hmm. saying, I'm outside. And she wouldn't have known that he left his other phone at home, but he ha- he happens to have. Then he wanted to wait for the ex-boyfriend to come home. Then when he did, he saw the guy get out of the car. Or he waited till he got out of the car, rather, maybe. Drove by and had to angle shots backwards, which means like either shooting. I think he probably put his right arm out the window mm-hmm. or maybe used his left arm mm-hmm. and fired three shots towards 
in the direction of the guy mm-hmm. who was on the other side of the car, halfway into the garage, then drove off. Then when he was in custody, they picked him up the next day. That's like 10, 12 hours later. You know, if he had washed his hands enough, there wouldn't be gunpowder residue, so nothing came up. So that's not positive evidence that he'd fired a gun, but it's not proof that he didn't. Mm-hmm. But when he was being asked about, uh, like, whatever, questioned by the investigator, he's like, you know, do you have any guns? No, no, never. Um, you know, you don't have any bullets? No, no, of course not. Well, we found this box of bullets in your underwear drawer, and they're actually the same make and brand of the shells that we found at the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I don't think he, I don't think he corrected him on any of the things. He just let him give his story. Mm-hmm. Have you ever owned this car? And no, never, mm. never. Okay. Well, if you say so, but they, there was, uh, a previous case brought up and I think it was just to prove that he had the car. I was going to ask you about this. Cause usually you can't bring up prior incidences. You're being charged with that incident, right? Not with stuff he did in 2020. Right? Yes. Right. So I think they had a cop come in and say in 2020, he was there for this crime. The girlfriend had called saying that she, that he threatened her by shooting a gun in her proximity outside somewhere. I think it was just actually to establish that he owned the car because the cop said, yes, he was driving this car at the time. Yeah. But the fact that they gave the whole context of it and then you're told don't consider the rest of this for evidence was really hard. Sure. So anyway, when he was, he said he never owned the car, but then he made a couple calls to his girlfriend, his current girlfriend while he was in there saying, junk that car, mm-hmm. sell it. No, don't sell it. Junk it. You know, that, that looks suspicious. I, I thought I was going to have to be like the devil's advocate the whole time. And I did a good job. I think as best I could, I, I could have. I, you mean during deliberation? Yeah, during deliberation. I think I did an okay job trying to not let anyone just be like de facto follow the prosecution's story. Mm-hmm. Like, let's try and challenge it along every avenue of defense. And let's try and paint an alternate series of events that could have coincided with all the evidence that we have. Like where the ex, where the current girlfriend's phone was and mm-hmm. all, and him trying to destroy his car, you know, the, the week after the crime and stuff like that. But what ended up happening is the, the, his current girlfriend sold it to some guy. And then there's a paper trail of having, it having been sold. They brought in the guy they sold it to. And like, I've never seen a more, I've only seen these witnesses, but I've never seen a more unreliable witness in my life. Mm-hmm. His story changed while he's up there in mid-sentence. Oh, shit. Like, but, but the point is, is like, I have the car now. Yeah. And yes, I bought it. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, you know, how did you come to get it? Well, I was on the bus just going around one night. And then, you know, I was with my friend and wait on the bus. No, he was driving me around. My mm. friend was driving me around. And then there was this car and I was like, oh, nice car. And, oh, you want to buy it? So, sure. Yeah, of course. And it's like, what you, and he comes in, you know, with like basketball shorts on. And it's like, you're just carrying around enough cash to buy a car. Mm. But if you're, I think, I think it sold for 500 bucks and it's 2008 car. So like they just sold it just to get rid of it. Right. You know, this was not the market value of this car, but the, I mean, I don't know why they brought him in. Cause we had like the bill of sale and like the, the title exchange, like this guy didn't bring anything to the table. I was going to ask him, Oh, that's what I meant. So jurors are allowed to ask questions after the defense and prosecution go back and forth of the witnesses. Yeah. Oh, neat. Juries, jurors, do you have any questions? And so is this in all of the U S or is this like a special Colorado thing? It's, I think jurisdiction dependent um yeah some places allow it some places don't but oh. i like that they did and i brought that up i meant to bring that up earlier because i didn't ask any questions of the first witness the primary one the only one who was party to the scene because mm-hmm. a i didn't know she wouldn't be back and b i didn't know she couldn't ask her questions later mm-hmm. and c i was nervous it was kind of just started so no one asked her any questions the second person i forget he was just some cop that there wasn't like that interesting but i i asked a question just to get clarification on something really just to like try and break the ice like we can ask questions guys the person on my left, she ended up being the alternate, but she was a law student. She was going to like corporate law or something or other. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also had asked questions and she also took plenty of notes. Some people, you're, you're given a, a binder. Some people never opened it. And I'm like, are you guys going to remember all this shit? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I'm not like a huge note taker in school or whatever, but like, you know, this kind of dry material, I don't remember everything. I took like seven pages of notes. 
and you know not like dense you know but it's like i i wanted to mark down who all talked and what they all said you asked the guy with about the car question oh i wasn't i didn't even bother to actually oh okay because I, I wanted to ask him like who gave you the car because he never said he said it was oh. dark oh. he's like well it might have been i think it was i think it was three girls that were there okay and, and i want to ask him like you could see the paper well enough to sign it but you couldn't see who handed it to you yeah. but like clearly this guy didn't know right but like neither the prosecution or defense asked him like did this guy say who gave him the car? Because I thought it was like it was it was just, it was just funny to have him there at all. I thought um, this guy didn't bring anything to the case, but with his presence. What did they did they introduce uh, any documents through him? That bill of sale. Who did that come in through? Oh, you mean did it come from the prosecution or the defense? No, in order to introduce that evidence, there has to be a witness who can testify to what it, that it is what it is. Oh, then I suppose that's what they did. Yeah. yeah. They brought him in and be like, is this the bill of sale? They did ask him to do this. Yeah. Now I see. That's why. That's why they brought him in. They okay. probably wanted him off the stand as soon as possible because he's like, this guy does not help us. He, he makes us look terrible because he's lying or, or whatever. He looks like an asshole. But uh, yeah, the, in order to get that bill of sale to, to show that it was this guy's car, um, yeah, they're, they're gonna, they need somebody who can testify as to what it is. They should have given us all a ten-minute crash course in this stuff because I remember you've told me that once before, but I, I, I didn't. It didn't stick. Yeah. So every every witness that they had up there, they you know like during like the opening PowerPoint slides from the prosecution, there were like you know pictures of text messages and stuff, like mm-hmm. pictures of like the phone, mm-hmm. not like just text that we say that they that they're saying was in text messages. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, Your Honor, can I can I show this witness Exhibit sixty six or whatever? So that's why they brought all the people up. Because they couldn't just say, and we have all this proof. They had to have people attest to that. Yes, this is yeah. what, what you're saying. You go is. through a formal process of admitting it that gives the other side the opportunity to object to it and uh, try to keep it out. Um, but yeah, and, awesome. Yeah. Okay, now that makes sense. They could have, I guess, in theory for that, they could have brought some government clerk saying, "Is this a Colorado car bill of sale?" And that would have also been sufficient, maybe. Well, but is it the bill of sale of this car? You know, mm. I mean, right? Yeah, good point. But they asked him, is this, the, is this the one that you signed? Is that your signature? And he, yep. Mm-hmm. So they needed him to say that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We can't just take someone's word for it. They're like, we talked to the guy. He said that he signed it. Yeah. Okay. Beyond a reasonable doubt is a heavy burden. You know, they're not going to be able to uh, prove their case with just going, ah, it's good enough. We got a clerk. Yeah. You know, people do hold them to that. Like it's most often you do get convictions. I think the conviction rate in the United States is somewhere in the mid 70% or high, low 80s, somewhere in that range. But like if you do enough of that, like trying to end in around the, you know, proving your case, like taking shortcuts, eventually it will add up. Uh, and not only that, but the defense would have objected to any attempt to bring it in through someone who didn't, who had no real knowledge of what this document was for, what it proves. Right on. So I did like that. that w- it was like watching Legally Blonde for at least a handful of times The Usually the the defense was like objection, you know, speculation or whatever. Uh, objection that sounds like an expert assessment question. You're just asking about what happened. You can't you can ask like this person an expert. I do like what Nassim said when we had him on. He said, "My job, my clients are almost all guilty. My job is mostly to make sure the process is followed and the rights aren't violated." And the, and I think this guy did a good job at that. You know, so the the, the prosecution laid out the story that I've given you, right? Mm-hmm. The defense he had said, "You've heard the story about what the prosecution is saying has happened." I want you to ask yourself, as we go through all the evidence throughout this trial, what is being proved and what are you being asked to assume? What he notably didn't do was give us an alternate series of events. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that's because he can't lie. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, it, the defendant, yeah, not only can he not lie, he doesn't want to 
speak. I mean, what about the lawyer though for the defendant? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, you can't lie. I was always under the impression that the lawyer could say anything. That like the right to lie is a protected right in the Constitution or uh, whatever. No, I mean, if you misrepresent, you're an officer of the court, and yeah. what that uh, means in practice is that everything that you represent to like the judge is truthful. And if you lie, I mean, you could be in serious trouble. You could lose your license over stuff like that. Are you an officer of the court, even if like you're a private attorney for someone? Because then you're just working for that one person. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. If you're a member of the bar. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. This guy was a public defender. And I know that because uh, at the end of the trial, like as we're all loading the elevator after we finished everything and deliberating and whatnot, someone comes up to us. She'd been in, she'd been in the stands for like the last couple of days taking notes. She was like, I'm an investigator with the public defender's office. Can I follow up with you like a Monday for a couple of questions? And I said, sure. You know, did you get a call? I did. Yeah. And it was interesting. She had asked if we were split on any of the, on any of the rulings or she asked like, which ones were you split on? Like as if we were, as if we weren't, we were unanimous in all of them hmm. on all of our judgments, not rulings, whatever. I didn't know the juries could be split if, if half of us or whatever, 10 of us thought guilty on this one, but not, you know, two thought not guilty. Isn't it just, we haven't decided then on that one. Yeah. It's a hung jury. I mean, you'll get instructed if you're like, you know, if you're deliberating for a little while, and you can't come to like you'll say you're six to six on something, you'll get brought in and the judge will be like, okay, so I understand you guys are kind of split. Um, keep trying, and and then they'll send you back. Do that maybe one more time. But if you're still split after a while, they'll just declare a mistrial. And sometimes you it, like it. It's not a mistrial if only one count necessarily you're split on. They could accept the verdicts for all the stuff you do agree on. Mm. But they don't necessarily. They don't have to. And uh, that uh, hung jury just means that basically the the case starts over, essentially. Okay. And so the the trial clock, the speedy trial clock, starts at at the moment of the hung jury. Yeah. See, I guess I didn't understand her question then about what she meant. Which ones were we split on? Maybe she meant like at the beginning. But I said, I said like, I think she just wanted to know where you guys had if there were any disagreements as to like wh- what. Yeah. I, mean, I I don't know because I've never been a part of deliberations, but. We assume that you guys are negotiating a little bit with each other. Oh, I see. And so that there are some who may disagree at first, and then eventually they come around. Yeah, that definitely happened. But we weren't split by the time we decided. I said by the time we were done deliberating, we were all unanimous on every judgment. So how was Um, your deliberation phase? Was it everything you thought it would be? Yes. Which is to say it was was stressful, and (laughs) I didn't go to the gym once that week. I, like, didn't have healthy meals afterwards, like... I wasn't sleeping well. It was so it was everything I wanted it to be, which meant it was it was it torture. Was, it was exhausting. <laughs> Why was it so stressful? Because it wasn't clear. Okay. Like I, I could I could easily paint a picture where this guy didn't didn't do it. Really? It, what it, is the picture you would paint? He could have come home from work, taken a shower. His girlfriend could have taken it upon herself to go over there and shoot the car or whatever. Mm. That didn't line up with the witness's testimony of I heard him call on the girlfriend's phone. Mm-hmm. But she would just say that if she didn't like him, right? She was, just served, she was just served papers, you know. I mean, on priors, uh, I would think that a guy's much more likely to do violence than a woman, too. Yeah, and, we, you know, you're allowed to consider, like, your previous life experience or whatever. But priors, he might be more likely, but it's not unreasonable to assume that she could do it. You yeah, know? yeah. You know, ultimately, if the ex-girlfriend was just served papers for custody of the daughter and she really didn't want him to have it, and this guy did have, and she knew that this guy had a gun or whatever, she could have taken the car out to the edge of town and shot it three times and then drove it home and then called the cops at midnight and said, my ex-boyfriend just drove by and shot the car. Uh, Fortunately, I could tell from one of the pictures that the front right tire was flat and it was right where the third bullet would have angled right into it, or maybe Mm -hmm. the first, Mm -hmm. whatever it was. Uh, and we, and we did end up asking after we got a chance to talk with one of the cops who was on the who was on the stand or to question we got to write a question. That's how the jury questions work, by the way. 
You're not asked to stand up and ask in front of the court. You hand the bailiff a paper that you wrote on, mm-hmm. and then they take it to the the judge's stand. Mm-hmm. And then they put on that silencio spell that puts static throughout the whole room while the two lawyers go up there and talk with the judge about whether, which questions to actually ask. They did not have the silencio spell when I was in a jury trial. That's interesting. It was, it was probably cool. a while ago, right? Uh, yeah, it was in the year 2000 or so. Yeah. Tech wasn't quite there yet, I don't think. Yeah, they had little speakers to, to play static, so there's no way anyone could hear what they're talking about over there. Cool. One guy asked, was it, were any slugs picked you know picked up at the scene? Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, but one one was very visibly inside the shattered tire in the front. Well, cause, and, but I was glad that I just saw it from the picture first. That's like, oh, that tire's flat. So like the idea that she took it to the edge of town and shot it didn't really work, right? right, right. Who did call the cops? The ex-girlfriend. Okay. Who, from her testimony, she, she had opened like inside the garage, kind of like most garages. It's got a garage door. And it's an attached garage to the to the apartment that they were in. You walk all the way through the garage, and then there's a door to the house from there, right? Mm-hmm. So she was at that threshold, and her current boyfriend had gotten out of the driver's side of his car, which had double parked behind the car in the garage, mm-hmm. and was halfway into the garage at that point. The bullets that went towards their place, if the if his car hadn't been there, would have been right peppering where that guy was. Mm-hmm. Um, so the car was actually between him and uh, and the assailant. Yeah, crimes like this. They infuriate the rationalist side of me, I guess, because it, they're just so fucking dumb. Obviously, it seems his objective was not to kill the guy, right? Because right. he was shooting from a moving vehicle, possibly with his non-dominant hand. You're not going to hit anyone anyway. And there was a car in between. He was basically doing like, I am angry. This is me threatening your life with a small percent chance you'll actually die in the process of the threatening. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you risk jail time for attempted murder just to shoot at a guy's car as a threat display? That, like, do different threat displays or something. That was, that's sort of my thought. <sighs> you know, like, the, and the reason that he, we ended up giving him, if I, get, if I get my definition wrong, tell me, but I feel like I've got it pretty down because we spent two hours at least just talking about... You're what, the expert now. On, <laughs> I'm an expert on extreme indifference, which is to say you're, you're conducting yourself in such a way that you've got blatant disregard for... If it's if it's assault with extreme indifference for severely injuring somebody, mm-hmm. or if it's murder with extreme indifference, attempted murder with extreme indifference, it's for uh, conducting conducting yourself in such a way that you don't care if someone's killed by the consequence of your actions. Right, which he clearly didn't. Right. Well, so, so but they but they tried to get that for both, mm-hmm. and they also tried to get attempted murder after deliberation for both, and that seemed like a stretch. Because we, we all kind of decided, like, if he wanted that guy dead, he could have walked out of the car and shot him. Right. You know, he could have stopped his car, got out, and killed him in his garage. Like, yeah. easy peasy. As far as we were concerned, there was no attempted, I'm going to try to kill you to the best of my ability as I can mm-hmm. whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. So, like like I said, they never found the guy's gun, but they did find bullets, or they found an empty box. They found different bullets in his closet, but then they found an empty box of the exact shells that were picked up in his underwear drawer. It was his current girlfriend's phone that traveled, not his. His stayed home. Mm-hmm. He had been texting her, and you could see the content of text messages, but you can't see the content of calls. Mm-hmm. Actually, what, you, what we could see was the content of all non-text messages from his phone, like Facebook messages. Some, like, we could, we could read the text on those, but we could just see communications, because he didn't give his phone over for, like, full data dump like the victim did. So let's see. Attempted murder, or attempted assault. Well, like, you know, check. And that's basically putting somebody at risk, because uh, it was all first degrees. So someone at risk of grave bodily harm or disfigurement. You're instructed to consider each charge independently. Was there know. any debate on that one? Yeah, oh, we debated on all of them. What What was the people saying This he might be innocent of this? What was their argument of that? Not necessarily innocent, just not beyond a reasonable doubt guilty, right? But mm-hmm. the idea that, like, you know, did he try to assault them? 
Like, so we, I mean, he we, shot a gun at them. So he did he shoot a gun at them or shoot a gun at, the, gun at the car? Like, those are the kinds of arguments, right? Okay. Like, we, we figured if he had stopped and put three rounds in the trunk of the car, mm-hmm. like, just as a, hey, fuck you, I'm, I'm, I'm serious here. I'm, I'm, you know, don't, don't mess with me. I don't think we'd have even got him. Maybe, maybe for the assault. I don't know. But like, there'd be no attempted murder there, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be, it'd be weird to try and charge him. It's like he didn't even shoot towards the guy. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like, from the way that he was driving, or the way he's described to have been driving, and we weren't given another series of events, actually, he would have had been driving this way. If he shot out his passenger window, the shells wouldn't have left the car, right? Right. So it had to be out of his driver's side, which means that he was going by as he was approaching the, the victim's garage. The back half of the, the guy's car was visible. If he wanted just to fill the car with bullets, mm-hmm. just to, again, as a show of dominance, he could have totally have done that while approaching the car. Mm. And we talked about that a lot too, is like, if he was only there just to kind of like flex, he had many opportunities to not put people in as much danger as he did. No way. But since he waited until he passed the car to shoot back towards it mm-hmm. into the garage, he, that guy was in way more danger. Right? right. Right. The other main thing, and I forgot to mention this, this is hugely important. Uh, after like the trial was done, and we don't know when it was going to be the last uh, witness or whatever. They just, any more witnesses? No. And then defense, no more witnesses. All right. Trial's over. Now, let me read the charges again. And I'm going to, and it's like a 45 minute process because it's like 30 pages. Mm. That was probably the hardest part. It was, the, like <laughs> I keep said, keep paying it was, attention. It was Wednesday at four o'clock. They're just reading the instructions. Yeah. yeah. And you, you get them yeah. anyway. So even if you fall asleep, it, it's. Oh, yeah. We got them anyway. But it was just, it was funny. But after every one, there was another page saying, complicity is not a separate charge in Colorado. Complicity in Colorado is a legal theory that says that if you uh, aid, abet, assist, or encourage a crime, you are guilty of that crime. Mm. Uh, He had put out on Facebook and in other messages that she was, quote, greenlit, which if if you're in certain circles, you know that that means that if my friends see you, they are encouraged to assault you. And we had one guy in the jury who knew what that meant. And, And the prosecution told us what that meant, too. That was that's that's encouragement. Right. Huh. And so the idea, like, if we were to try, try and paint a series of events or like where he, went, where he went home and went to bed for an hour and his girlfriend left the house and did all this stuff of her own accord, we found it unreasonable to believe that he wouldn't have at least known about it. Because certainly why the hell would she even choose that night to go over there if he didn't say, man, this guy called me. I told him I was going to go over there and fuck his shit. Right. So even if it was her, he was complicit in it and therefore guilty. OK. So th- that was like kind of like a load off because, you know, as far as like d- deliberating, it's like, all right, well, he's at least almost definitely complicit. Why did it take that long to deliberate? We we were thorough. I don't know why. Like, so the judge thought it would be done by Thursday because and maybe he didn't know the, if the questions go as long as they did on a Wednesday. We weren't d- dismissed on Wednesday to start deliberations until like 4.40. Mm-hmm. And we could stay till 6, but on Wednesday we elected not to. Mm-hmm. Um, on Wednesday we left at 5. Thursday we stayed from 9 to 6, and we, we deliberated through lunch. And Did they give you dinner too? No. Oh, shit. Meh. Yeah, no. No no dinners for you guys. They'll give you lunch, but... I would have been dead that last hour. Yeah, I mean, you know, I brought, I, I moved in, man. I brought an air filter or an air purifier <laughs> mm. uh, slash filter. I brought a little fan, uh, which I forgot there, unfortunately. And I had to buy a new uh, one that sucks. Uh, it's like a little thing that plugs into USB port. So um, wait a minute, you're in division 309 yeah. for this trial? Okay, so I've been inside that jury room a bunch of times. Yeah. It's tiny. It's tiny. So it, it that can, sucks. It can almost comfortably <laughs> fit 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> and so until like the alternate was dismissed, there were 13 of us crammed in there every time, mm-hmm. which basically meant like one person was standing. Yeah. It's a, it's a really small room. There, there were a handful of wrinkles too, you know, like this was the interesting thing that like, as far as like me going into things with my, it sounds super self indulgent to say my training as a rationalist, but 
the, the judge reads the charges at the beginning of the trial. My first thought is like, wow, I've never been in the room with attempt with an attempted murderer before. Mm. Wait, hold on, Stephen. You don't know that you have, and you you you. <laughs> first of all, you don't know that you don't know that's not true, and also you don't know that's not true right now. Mm. You don't know he did anything. Shut up. Like mm. I, I have to tell him. And then every time like that, an objection was sustained, they would say, "You're right. Disregard that question." And like, there's no delusion that like the jury just forgets that, that question was asked. But we we were good about keeping each other on check. And like with the case about like the 2020 case where the cops came and like that was used to ascertain that he'd owned the vehicle that he denied owning. Mm-hmm. They also found a gun in the car. And like as a group, as a group, we kept ourselves in check about that. Like we can't talk about that gun. We are only there to ascertain that. Yes, he owned the car. Also during that one, he apparently called the cops, which is weird. But again, that's not, that's either here nor there. We can't talk about that part. If someone's, and you explain this better than I do, but if, if someone's brought in, even if it's like their fifth time doing something, they're not being, you can't use their previous four times as evidence that they did, that they did it the fifth time. Right. Typically, yes. Um, there, there are some exceptions. But yeah, if you're charged with a crime, you're there to only be found guilty or not guilty of that crime. There are exceptions for like uh, child molestation, for example, where if you've done it before, that evidence can come in. Um, also, uh, there's a huge list of reasons that you can bring in what we would call prior bad acts, um, such as the one you're describing. Um to show uh, intent, to show lack of mistake, to show modus operandi. So it's not just we're presenting this because this is a bad person and therefore you should convict them on the fact that they suck, Mm -hmm. but that there's these other reasons to bring in this. So like, I'm a little surprised at some of the details you're telling me of what they brought in, but like the fact that, you know, to, to establish that he owned the car, it makes sense that. What is it that surprises you? They mentioned that there was a gun in the car. In the previous, and so I, it's not obvious on its face to me what that is meant to establish. Maybe it was to show intent, but like that doesn't even show intent of anything, right? It it shows that he had a gun and that he lied about ever owning a gun to a cop once, but it, like that's not actually here. That's not part of this. Crime. Yeah, I, I guess a it could, quote unquote oopsie to to no, I think you? I think that the prosecution or the defense would have would have objected harshly oh yeah what actually was annoying as a juror was every objection and like at least once the judge even said this is only brought in for this case you're not to consider any other part of this testimony for your guys' deliberation he didn't write that down Mm. and like he didn't write down what part we're supposed to consider i i probably scribbled something down but i was only one other than the awesomely judicious uh soon-to-be lawyer who didn't get selected to be who who was who was the alternate and we didn't get to look at her notes yeah, those are selected at random, so she just got unlucky. Yeah, was, her seat was just already, it was going to be number eight, I think, that was going to be the alternate no matter what. But yeah, I wish that he had said, for this part, when you guys are talking about this guy's testimony, only consider these two things. And here's the piece of paper reminding you of that. Yeah, uh, it, it would be nice. The, the They give you an instruction, they should have at least given you an instruction that says that certain evidence was only admitted for certain purposes. They did, but they just didn't tell us which stuff. Right, and so that's the thing is that that would be nice, but I it would be a logistical nightmare to remember all the times during a trial in any one trial it might not be a big deal but to if you're especially if you're a public defender and you're doing these all the time to remember at which point someone said a thing that was only supposed to be considered for one specific purpose to write it down to have it as part of the instruction to make it part of the instruction conference i see because it has to go through all the official paperwork rather than just like here's a sticky note i wrote down what he said yeah Yeah. that would be a pain in the butt it would be nice i agree but it would have been maybe better arguably still that might be worth the trouble just to save us the trouble of trying to remember as jurors no i mean it's Um, good feedback like one thing is that you know you you see so many of these and you forget 
what could just improve because it just some stuff is just you just it's baked in you just know that that's how it's done mm. and there are times when it's like it it's very obvious what could be done better but then there are times when you know little things like that it makes total sense that you would as a juror want all those but I, but also a defense attorney for example might object to that because we wouldn't want it in the instructions necessarily we don't want to remind you that this person was said that there was a gun in the car. We might hope that you forgot about that. But mm -hmm. if we have instructions and he reads out the instructions and you're given the instructions, it might continue to highlight this fact that we don't want you to remember. Yeah. So it's it's tricky. I, I do like that we were all very honest about what we thought. And I elected not to push to be jury boss, other call, otherwise called jury foreperson. Oh, back in 2002 or whenever it was, I had my thing. It was still four men or four women. They called it four men, but since... Oh, okay. You know, I was being generic. It's okay, four okay. person. Yeah. yeah. So we had a foreman who had been on a jury before. And that's basically why I was like, if you know, because none of us really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I will if no one else wants to. And he's like, well, I will if no one else wants to. And I was like, well, you've been on a jury before. I'll let you do it. Because by that point, I was, I was kind of bummed that I wasn't the alternate because I didn't want to be part of deliberations. <laughs> that is was, so weird. Like, you want to be on a jury but you don't want to be in the deliberations? Like, well, that's the whole point of the jury. It was, and that's what I was looking forward to right up until it was like, shit, this is like actually a messy case. Huh. And if I'm wrong, then I make a bad decision and something bad, you know, if I'm wrong, a bad, a bad outcome happens. And right? you're also uh, dealing with heavy charges, like the, what he was charged with. They, they won't tell you sentence, so you, you don't know what his sentence could have been. You can find it out now if he is sentenced, but they won't tell you. But it's just obvious. These are extreme felonies. These are, you're going to spend significant time in prison if you're convicted. Yeah. You know, I think that's probably pretty obvious to everyone, even if they don't tell you what the sentence is. And we are instructed to not worry about that part. Yeah. <laughs> but I, that's, yeah. I remember in my jury trial, the attempted murder was on camera. Like, there's a video of the guy stabbing the dude in the neck. There was no question that it was him, and that's what was happening. The, the lady in the deliberations at the end was like, I just, murder is such a big word. I don't know if I want to be responsible for, for convicting someone of a murder charge. I was like, I didn't say this, but it's like, bitch, you tried to kill someone. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a big word for this big. Yeah, yeah, right? You can't just, I feel icky being responsible for part of the conviction so he goes innocent. Like, goddamn. That's why, That's why, as a jury, none of us like, in fact, one of the guys, I think the jury four person, he was, he, I think he kind of just bought the whole story wholesale. He, he also kept bringing up like, you know, I'm trained with guns. Anyone who knows that anything downstream of a gun is meant to be killed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you say that like it's obvious. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious to anyone who's fired a gun but if you're just a reckless idiot, it might not be that clear. Hmm. He might have done it, you know, with, again, with with no regard for the outcome, not not because he was intentionally doing stuff. And he's like, well, how can you not intend to to kill something that you're shooting at? I was like, if that's not what you're trying to do and you're, and you're right. not trained properly with guns. If your gun is just like an intimidation tool for you. Yeah. But we, we ended up, you know, again, not going for any of the after deliberation charges just because, yeah, murder is a big word. And it's like this guy did not, he did not try his best to kill anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, deliberations were very emotionally trying for you. Yeah, and I, I could tell I wasn't the only one getting fatigued by it. Again, it was just serious stuff. Like I said, he didn't have the courtesy to be wearing a GoPro and screaming his name while he was doing it, you know? This was another big thing to consider. It was like he called his girlfriend and his current girlfriend and instructed her to destroy his car. Mm -hmm. And it's like, is that a reasonable thing for someone who didn't do it to do? Yeah. And so I, like I kept saying, or I kept starting to say, I thought I was going to be the biggest skeptic in the room. Like, hey, let's try to consider the alternatives. There was another guy. He was killing it. And he was just like, I'm not sold on any of this just yet. Like, even like the assault, once we got, like, once we're working our way up through the charges, mm -hmm. he's like, no, no, I'm not there yet. And why? And he he wanted to give everything the longest, fairest shake possible. Okay. And so we talked about, like, the destroying of the car. 
And he's like, is it reasonable for someone to want to destroy their car if they didn't do it? And I was like, yeah, man, there are some people who have a justified distrust of cops that they, did I mention the defendant was black? No. So the defendant was black. That gives me an emotional ping that like, God, I don't want him to be guilty. Right. Cause it's like, I just, I don't want to add fire to the narrative. Right. Uh, Or add fuel to the narrative. But, but I, I'm not trying, I'm trying not to consider that part. Right. I don't want anyone to be guilty. And especially I think as a juror, that probably doesn't, probably isn't a bad place to start from of a place of like, I don't want them to, I think they didn't do it. I'm going to not try to work with my emotions, but I'm going to start with the position of they didn't do shit. I, I mean, I don't want anyone to be guilty because I don't want for these sorts of things to happen. But if they do happen, I want whoever was guilty to be caught and punished. Me too. Because that'll and, prevent these things from happening as much yeah. in theory. And that, that's why I didn't like, you know, stop us from concluding deliberations or something. But hmm. I said, yeah, man, there's, there's, there's people with justified distrust of the cops who think they might not get a fair trial. And, you know, we'll think that destroying a car if they'll increase their chances of not getting in trouble like totally worth the cost and fortunately i think i'm bad at faces and i'm also surprisingly bad at like determining someone's race by looking at them but there was clearly he was like 20 because it was actually the first day of college and he just transferred to uh denver university or something and he was like i'm missing my first week of classes that was the reason he tried to get out Uh and they were like you'll be fine you're staying in he was a young 20s black kid Okay. and uh black young adult as you might emphasize um <laughs> he spoke up after i did saying yeah basically what i'd said hmm. but just with more firsthand experience of just like it's totally legit for a black man to say fuck my car fuck this I'm, i'll do whatever it takes to try to let try to keep these cops from you know giving me a bad deal so it was it was at least nice that you know it wasn't a room full of white people deliberating on this black guy's outcome which shouldn't matter right but like it was just nice to have representation in the room which again is one of the things like about jury process you know Mm -hmm. it's if it was just one person both prosecution attorneys they're both women they're both white white ish again if, if one was some flavor of another i'm bad at telling so i don't know i guess really half the reason i wanted to talk about this was kind of just get all of this out yeah during the week i i was very fastidious about because you're instructed every time you leave the room and when you leave for the day, you're not to talk about this with anybody. The crime happened not that far from my house. No. Oh. I'm instructed not to drive by there. Uh-huh. You know, don't don't look up the guy's name. Don't do not do any independent investigation. Mm-hmm. So I didn't tell my wife the guy's name. I didn't tell him what he did or what he's alleged to have done or anything like that. For the record, he didn't tell me either. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even text you that week. Nope. I, I thought about it most days driving home. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm struggling during jury trial. Like, can you help me with reasonable, uh, with reasonable doubt? And I would have been like, shut up. Yep. You are not to talk about it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, so that's why I didn't even trouble myself to. And interestingly, we're also prohibited from consulting a dictionary. What? I don't they know They have why. their own definitions for stuff that will be in the instructions. So. There, there were definitions, but some definitions included things that I've liked that I've liked definitions of, which we would have actually been allowed to ask for. Yeah. We, we, can, had, we had a... Jury questions aren't just for the witnesses. You can also ask during deliberations. Yeah. There were like a hundred pieces of paper in there that were like questions for the court. So if we wanted to know what the hell is the difference between aid, abet, and assist, well, I, could have, I could have forced them to give me definitions. Eventually, they will tell you. Like, shut up yeah i mean i wouldn't, I wouldn't have done <laughs> that will tactic, happen but but if but if anything hung any of those but what yeah. we realized like we know we know what help means which is roughly what those three words mean and we know what encourage means so now we know what complicity means so we didn't need like a solid solid definition so when someone was swayed from i don't think this is reasonable guilt to i do think they're you know reasonably guilty on each charge what what did that look like what caused them to turn from one to the other for, for me, and I think for the other, like, super skeptic guy in the room, it was mainly we've exhausted all possible 
avenues of ways this that this could be reasonably doubted. Okay. Is it reasonable to assume that like the phone data just was having this weird glitch that mm-hmm. lined up with the time of the crime? No. Mm-hmm. That, that stuff went out pretty quick. But like, is there a grocery store right near there? Because it doesn't show that, you know, the phone is in the parking lot. It shows it was like in this kind of wide area near there. Mm-hmm. Miles from their house and within the proximity of the victim's house, mm-hmm. but not in her driveway. It could be possible they went over, over there for another reason. And it's like, maybe? Like a couple times they wanted to go around and say, where would we stand on each charge? And I was like, I kind of insist we do this silently. Mm-hmm. We, should not, we should not say where we're at to the group. Like write it down? Yeah. Because if we say, if we say it out loud... Will be not just like socially pressured by the people who spoke before us, but also socially pressured to defend the position that we gave earlier. Mm. We should we should do this silently. So we ended up just not actually doing it at that time. Uh, we waited until we talked about. I was like, "How about instead of doing that, we just go through all the charges? Unless there, unless we all already know what we're all what we've all decided. In which case, that's hugely irresponsible of us before deliberating at all. Mm. Let's just go through them, you know, one at a time. That's interesting. That that's a. That's an interesting move. I don't get much insight into what jurors do when they're deliberating, but I do see occasionally, like when I was bailiffing, your notes that you wrote. I was the one who threw those away, like made sure that those were not seen by anyone. Sometimes I would go in there and they, they have the whiteboard, I'm sure. I don't know if you guys used it or not. We but, did. That was something I insisted on too, actually. But that, yeah, people do write on that. Like I see like tally marks of one side or mm. the other for charges and stuff like that. So we, we didn't use it for that. We had six or eight witnesses across three days. The timeline of the crime from like when he got the call at work to when like the call to 911 was placed was like 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. But then like in that, you know, there's like the Facebook uh, message data. There's the the text data. There's the phone data from both his phone and his girlfriend's, his current girlfriend's phone. And I was like, let's get a very specific timeline up on this thing. And they're like, "Eh, we'll get around to that. And then like, we get like through like maybe another half hour and we're trying to decide like when things happen. I was like, see, we need to write this down. That's what, that's what we used our whiteboard for was like, here's the call from work here's the call to 911 and then like you know the adjacent part after that of like you know him telling the car to get destroyed when it was sold and stuff like that mm-hmm. but it's like really like how tight were these events in sequence when they when they happened and what can we prove with each thing that we look at for recordings of things like we got the 911 call we got the the body cam of the interview with him when he was uh in custody we can only watch those twice mm. and Hmm. We were instructed that we can't stop and start and rewind and stuff like that. Even huh. though that the sound on some of them was really rough hmm. and it would have been really nice. If we wanted to listen to them to a third time, it has to be all the way through and you have to ask for permission. Do you know yeah. the reason why? That's yeah. what I was going to ask. So the, there's a case on it in Colorado. Um, and I think this is actually pretty typical around the country. I have um, a guess if I can volunteer that first. Go ahead. The body cam video was 40 minutes long. And if we wanted to watch it three or four times, that'd take up most of a day. Hmm. Right. No, I'm, I mean, you're, you're allowed to take as long as you want for right. deliberations. Awesome. The, I'm wrong. the reason is the evidence is supposed to be presented in the courtroom. And the worry is that if we give you what is essentially testimony in the form of a recording, that you're going to replace what you remember from being in the courtroom with the testimony from the recording. Isn't that better? I mean... That, that's up to you. Okay. You know, it really is like the testimony that you get from witnesses in the courtroom is supposed to be the evidence. And they don't want you to improperly weigh something that was recorded out of court mm. before you're under oath. And the worry is that you would replace what you heard on the stand while someone was under oath with what was said in a recording. And it would essentially replace their testimony. And I'm assuming that they're the court cases are not videotaped and you can't just ask to go back and like, can we rewatch these 20 minutes on day two? No. 
Which that seems annoying because then we wouldn't have to rely on our fallible memories, right? And our notes that we jotted down in the middle of it. Yeah, you know, if it's we funny. were smart enough to do that. What's funny too is that they won't—they'll specifically won't allow jurors to get those transcriptions, but the judge has it on their little desk. That there's what's called the real time. The court reporter is typing everything down mm-hmm. and it's being transcribed to them, which if you ever have seen a court reporter's notes is fucking amazing mm-hmm. that it shows what they're actually saying in real time. But they just won't, they won't give that to jurors, even though it's available. The judge has it right there, but they will not let you go off of anything except your memory and your notes. That is super annoying. What is the justification for that? I mean, I I don't know. If it, if it were up to me, I would change a lot of things about how trials are, especially around the rules of evidence, how things are done. I think the justification is is just that, that we want you to rely on what you saw, what you experienced in the courtroom. One, one big issue with retrying cases, this is why you never see a trial in an appellate, like in, in a court of appeals or anything like that. They would never have a trial, really. I mean, they, they do, but it's extremely rare, is that we want you to go off of what you saw, what you experienced, not just the words, because the words say one thing, but whether or not like you, like you were talking about with the kid wearing basketball shorts, that's not in the transcript, you know, and we don't want you to replace that experience of whether or not this guy was trustworthy based on your observation in court with what he said, black and white on the transcript. I can, I can see the pros and cons to that. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the pros being that real life is far higher bandwidth and you don't want to cut all that extra info that you get the con being that it makes the whole thing much more in my opinion vibes based where like a charismatic lawyer would have a huge advantage over a less charismatic lawyer yeah the public defender did not have a lot of charisma but neither really did the uh the prosecution they had more um borderline yelling like Hmm. as it like imploring okay and they're like their final presentations and then that would th- really turned me off. It kind of did to me too. So, the, w- but what was nice is that I want to be turned off by the prosecution, right? Okay. I want to kind of go through it on on the merits of the evidence and and what I saw, rather than like the great narrative that they put together to say this is what happened. Like, so the the prosecution gets their like their last what do they call it? the last presentation closing argument the closing arguments. Mm-hmm. Then the defense gets hit gets, gets theirs, mm-hmm. and then the prosecution gets the reply or rebuttal rebuttal rebuttal, and then. Uh, but her rebuttal to his closing arguments, well, that, that was where she was like impassioned because mm. she was like, you're going to tell me that these like eight, like, what's fun is like, as he's doing his thing, they don't get to like go off and make a PowerPoint, right? Mm-hmm. The other person is there typing the whole time, making like a fresh, fresh slide and everything, you know, in real time. Mm. You're going to tell me that these like nine things all coincidentally happened as like, oh, you're trying to get us to like, fall for like a huge conjunction fallacy. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be all of those actually. It just has to be like really any two or three of them um so i kind of saw what she was doing there but i understood where they were coming from and stuff how were the closing arguments in your opinion it was a lot like the opening arguments at the beginning they're like we're going to show you all this evidence of Mm -hmm. you know why we think this the defendant is guilty and we want you to to vote guilty on these charges and we're going to make that clear throughout the case then the end is like we made it clear throughout we we believe we made it clear throughout the case yada yada Mm -hmm. the defense attorney's closing arguments were like and this is actually something that I wish we had the court, the court transcript for was because during the 911 call, the victim made right after the shooting, you know, the guy was like, obviously don't delete any text messages, you know, anything like that. Keep all the correspondence. She deleted 10 of her own text messages hmm. and we don't know the contents of them. Right. Hmm. And she, apparently she said on the stand, none of us remembered that she didn't delete anything because we didn't see that she had deleted them until after. And so we didn't like think to make a note that she said she never deleted anything, right? But the defense attorney said that, you know, he called into question her trustworthiness as a witness because she he he alleges that she lied under oath. 
And we talked about that because none of us could remember if she actually said that, but we're going to take his word for it because he probably wouldn't get that wrong, right? Yeah. And we're like, all right, so what could these messages possibly have contained that would have exonerated any of this behavior? Like nothing. Yeah. The only thing it could have contained would be like, ha, got you. Because, oh, uh, she had said something like, it's chess, not checkers. Like, okay. the, like the custody over this daughter or whatever maybe thing, right? So it's like, would, haha, I got you to shoot at my boyfriend, so now I get full custody, that kind of thing. Something kind of like that, maybe, right? Okay. But, you know, if she had goaded him, the only thing that those messages could have contained that would have exonerated the defense would have been like, man, I just, we we, we got you, man. I know what kind of gun you have. We went out and shot my car, <laughs> called the cops, told them we saw your car, you're fucked. Yeah. But if, if it had contained those messages, we believed as a jury that he would have submitted his phone right. and, and shown those messages, right? Yeah. Although I think actually those ones were sent via Facebook Messenger and they were unsent, mm-hmm. which would have also removed them from his phone. Mm-hmm. As I'm going to understand, I don't have Facebook Messenger, but a couple kids in the room still did. And so <laughs> we, we got to get a good understanding of what unsent meant. Did you try sending and unsending things to each other? No, because we don't have access to our phones. Oh, uh, okay. During deliberations. So we couldn't, that might have constituted an independent investigation, okay, right? Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, would that have? Yeah. Okay. So, like, here, I've got a message from you that I, I sent to you that said, thanks, to the thumbs up. I can delete that. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Mm-hmm. But it's still on your phone. Okay. I think the difference with that and unsent is that you would see on mine, this Stephen, Stephen unsent this message. Yeah, I've seen that on a number of services. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like, Discord will show, like, a message was here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Signal does the same thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, I, t- I kind of wanted to get, get this all out. As somebody who's who's been trying to practice to think about things correctly for the last decade plus... There was an interesting exercise in like being told you can't consider this for evidence because mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, I, I know what that means. And so I, I think I did a good job about doing that. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just interesting because that's not how real life works. Like unless unless there's a good reason for it, like you've got the sniffles. It's mm-hmm. COVID season. That is weak evidence. You have COVID. You got a positive COVID test. That's that's great evidence. You've got COVID. The test is expired, but it's not that expired. Then you, you know, say you learn uh, that the t- tests the day after expiration date are totally useless. Mm. In fact, they all come back positive. Okay. Right now that positive test means nothing. Yeah. Right. So that, that's a circumstance where I can say that that evidence can't be considered because now it's, it's not that I can't consider that evidence. It's that it's no longer evidence. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Side note though, COVID tests are actually good for at least two years after the expiration date. Oh, good. The FDA came out with a thing with that. So they are basically just giving away expired COVID tests everywhere. If you want more, I, so I realized I did the lion's share of the talking for this portion. and Well, lar- you had the awesome experience. I just really wanted to just get it all off my chest and kind of just get it out there. What were the final charges, convictions, and are you happy with them? Happy. Okay. I'll, I'll table that question. <laughs> right. um, we, we, we worked our way up through the severity. Mm-hmm. And what was fun is the judge read them and he didn't know what order we did it, obviously. But he did it from most severe to least. Okay. And so I didn't enjoy exactly, exactly the experience, but I did... I did watch the prosecution's faces mm-hmm. as he read attempted murder after deliberation, victim number one, not guilty. Mm-hmm. Victim number two, att- attempted murder after deliberation, not guilty. Watching the prosecution's faces, mm-hmm. kind of just getting like more and more like I'm not showing an expression on my face by, by purpose. Because mm-hmm. um, I think they would have been upset if we had voted not guilty on everything. Yeah. Um, he didn't get either after deliberation attempted murder. We gave him attempted murder, extreme indifference on the boyfriend. The one that was in the garage that he shot into. Yeah. Not on the girlfriend. Even yeah. though she was in the garage, we thought it was very plausible he didn't see her because she was at the very back end of it. Yeah. And she's not that tall and there was a car in front of her. But we did get... Uh, so then there's also the assault charges. I think that we decided that they were both... Both assault charges were, were guilty, whether like the extreme indifference and 
can't remember if it was after deliberation or maybe it was with intent was the other one. Mm-hmm. So like, I think with intent is like, I go and hit you with a bat. Mm-hmm. Extreme indifference is like, I know you're around. I put a blindfold on and I'm swinging a bat rant wildly, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Both are assault in the first degree because you, you stand to risk of being gravely injured, mm-hmm. right? Am I making, am I speaking too much up my ass here? Um, Part of this is from memory of what the charges actually were. I well, remember the murder ones, but or the attempted murder ones. So for assault, you the intent to to hit somebody has to be there. So it would be almost duplicative to have with intent. Um, it it seems to me, unless that means something else. I don't know if I've ever seen that charge. I could have sworn there was an assault with extreme indifference. There's that probably that makes sense. But okay. uh, so um, then there was run of the mill assault, and then then assault with extreme indifference. Does that sound plausible? It sounds yeah plausible. I've but, never heard of assault with extreme indifference. I mean, I could see an analogous depraved heart murder is usually what it's called. It's the same thing, though. Extreme indifference murder. That's that makes sense to me. That it's the intent to cause serious bodily harm um, through an extreme indifferent actions. Yeah. If I went to um, the football game and was firing a bing bag shotgun into the crowd, mm-hmm. right? I'm not trying to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. That's why I bought a bing bag shotgun and not a real gun. But I'm, I don't care if I really hurt somebody, right? The most vivid uh, example I heard was uh, I'm out on my motorboat and I want to get to over there. So I just drive through some people that are swimming. I didn't want to kill them. I don't care if they live or die, but... My extreme indifference to whether they get hit by my rotor and murdered is uh is murder. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking with the assault one, the, the beanbag shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the 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 extreme indifference. Yeah, it's like we said that she was that the that the female victim was assaulted but not attempted murdered mm-hmm. uh, with indifference, which logically doesn't actually make any sense. If mm-hmm. you're if you're assaulted by a bullet right. or by by the present by the possible presence of a bullet, you're mm-hmm. attempted murdered by one. Mm-hmm. But and we're also instructed each charge has to be considered individually. Mm-hmm. If you just don't feel like it fits, it might not be logically consistent, but it doesn't actually have to be. In my trial, we had an, an attempted manslaughter charge, which is weird because manslaughter is like, I wasn't trying to kill the dude, but he died as a side effect of my attack. And then like the attempted manslaughter is like, so you attempted to have him die of your attack without trying to actually kill him, you know? Yeah. But, but we kind of, we understood what they meant by the vibes of, of you know... Attempted manslaughter? What's that even mean? That means that it was manslaughter, but the guy didn't die of it. Oh, I see. Not that you tried it's, to manslaughter somebody. This is what we cam- came to. Well, yeah. you, you, try, you tried to manslaughter somebody. I see. Like, like I you were just stabbing him in the neck as a threat <laughs> rather I, than to kill him. So it's manslaughter, but he didn't die of it. So it's attempted manslaughter. When I think manslaughter, my, my example is like hitting somebody in a bike lane with your car. Okay. And and they die, right? That's manslaughter. Manslaughter. Usually. I mean, so there's two two different types. There's voluntary, which is like the classic example of voluntary manslaughter is, um, you know, guy comes home and sees his wife in bed with another man and just instantly pulls out a gun that's you know on the bedside table, shoots them both. Oh, that's manslaughter. That's that's voluntary manslaughter. Oh, I thought that was second degree. Uh, well, that's that could be. That's the thing. I think nowadays we've come more and more that people consider that murder, not manslaughter. But okay. classically, that's voluntary manslaughter. It's because huh. you're acting with under the heat of passion. It's heat of passion murder. You're, okay. Like you're so overwhelmed with emotion and you just act in an instant and someone ends up dead. Um, and then there's involuntary manslaughter, which is reckless behavior that results in death. Yeah. Um, I picture a bar fight where the guy you know falls and cracks his head on the bar and dies. Yeah, that's that's he's dead, but it's like I thought I was just hitting him. I didn't mean to kill him. You're right. right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yep. I yeah. want to I want to talk about the different degrees of murder because we you know didn't have any opportunity or reason to ask about the differences. But I was curious why they were all first degree and what second and third possibly are. 
And I want to talk about what we talked about at the meetup briefly what, about uh, jury nullification and stuff. Mm, okay. But after this commercial break, when you're in the courthouse the entire time, you're instructed to wear like a little badge that says juror. So the people who are in court at all just know not to say anything about court near near anyone with the juror badge. Yeah. Are we back on the air? Yes. Because this part's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, we, like, I think it might have been after we closed, like, I don't know whatever day it was. Uh, but it, maybe it was like the first day we're actually like actually leaving. It's like, you know, if you see any, any of the, uh, anyone involved here, myself or either the prosecution or the defense attorneys, uh, you, they, they're not being rude, but they might not even make eye contact with you. They certainly won't say, hi, how's your day going? And you're not, you're not, you're not to engage them either where you're not to interact at all. Mm-hmm. And so one of the days I was leaving and the defense attorney was like, six paces ahead of me and there's like two sets of doors to leave through and he just let them both close on me <laughs> and i'm like i'm like if, if if you were some muggle this would be a dick move right and then i was telling that like, but a, you cannot acknowledge i exist <laughs> exactly well the fun thing is i was telling that a day or two later and then the 20 year old girl who's in the jury he's like oh he, he held the door for me and i was huh. like that dude, dude. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was being you know steadfast with his resolve to to not interact with us but no he was just being <laughs> he was nice to, to the nice pretty young girl okay fine but yeah, I saw the defendant most days in the parking lot after the trial because I parked way out in the boonies so I could be next to a tree to have some shade in the afternoon. It, it was just an interesting experience to, at the end of at the end of the day, this guy's going to prison probably for some time. It was actually nice that the decision was um, distilled as you know my role in it was one of twelve mm-hmm. rather than just being me. Right, I would have been you know a complete wreck rather than merely you know anxious to the point of stomach upset all week, right? No, because I'm like, what if I'm wrong? But it's like, what if all twelve of us are wrong? That seems less likely. Right? Mm, okay, yeah. actually, it's probably more likely. No, I don't well, know. it depends. I could see, I could see the case be made either way. Because on the one hand, we're all talking each other into positions or something, right? It definitely feels like you have a greater spread that a individual point of failure is more likely to be found and rooted out. Yeah, and the one guy, he he didn't mind getting. And I, I didn't mind it either, but he, we basically went, I guess, counterclockwise from the four-person to foreman, mm. and he was right to it, right next to him, and so he would always be like, "Well, hold on, I'm not sure yet." Before they'd even get a chance to get to me, uh-huh. and uh, it, it wasn't like we stuck to that routine necessarily. There were some people who barely spoke the whole time, and then you know some of us who dominated it, and I probably just like I do in real life <laughs> did more than one twelfth of the talking. Okay. Anyway, so I was curious. Like I said, these are all charges in the first degree. What are second and third degree attempted murders or something? Are these hard barriers or these fuzzy ones? Or why would they say attempted murder in the first degree as opposed to second? Well, if they truly believe that they could prove it, if they thought, I mean, you know, you, you went through quite a bit of scenarios where, you know, he's just firing essentially warning shots or um, threatening without necessarily trying to, to uh, hurt someone. If they believe that this guy is guilty of it, then they'll charge it. And, you know, I mean, it. Yeah, probably, he could have just brandished his weapon. He could have tapped it on the side of his car and given the guy a look or whatever. But he also might have just been a terrible shot. Mm-hmm. And if the prosecutor thinks that he can get a conviction for that for this person who I am going to assume this prosecutor thought was a terrible person, they're going to try. And as the prosecutor emphasized, she had said, you don't get credit in Colorado for being a bad shot. Right. You know, it's like if you missed, that doesn't matter. You still tried to kill him. Um, so what is second degree murder? It's like heat of the moment murder, right? No, that's the voluntary manslaughter. That's okay, the heat okay. of passion. Second degree is just 
I mean, a lot of times in practice, it's just first degree that isn't proven, but it's not, there's no necessarily malice of forethought. There isn't a proven like plan or, or, um, appreciative time before you commit the murder, um, where you're sort of planning this out. Um, they, they could, they could have gotten us to, I think totally, we would have been on board for second degree attempted murder then after deliberation. See, I, I totally see first degree because you had to go to a different location and get a weapon and then go to the crime scene that we- like. That shows planning, in my opinion. We thought about an hour seemed like reasonable to say this is still heat of the moment. Like it's it's not the fifteen second period, right. but it's like that's not quite long enough. You know, imagine that there there was a situation like at the school a few, couple weeks before this or something during the daughter's like kindergarten graduation where the new boyfriend and the defendant had some argument or something, and some of the text said something about like how you know she doesn't need you, she's got the new boyfriend or whatever mm-hmm. i'm imagining that if the new boyfriend called him at work and be like yeah she's gonna be calling me dad you know she's we're gonna make her forget you ever existed like mm-hmm. if that if that incensed him mm-hmm. i can imagine that rage lasting for an hour 90 minutes you know it's not like he went to go buy a gun and hypothetically waited like a two-day waiting period or something and then after all that time to cool off and go to work for a couple more days then still went and did it mm-hmm. this was all over the course of an hour and a half so it, it's still planning but it's not like if he had to go again, go buy bullets or something, you know, something that involved more effort, we would have been like, oh yeah, he definitely tried. You know, there was there was no not so until we have center butts. You say second degree was means not premeditated, right? Yeah. How is that different from from a passionate crime? I mean, it's it really isn't, and that that's like in my opinion, there's really not a distinction, and that's why I said that we're I think more and more people are going away from that. Okay. There was an idea at one time that, you know, if you uh, were, you know, as a man, you see your wife in bed with another person that we understand that that's so incredibly emotional that we're going to punish you a little bit less for having murdered both of them. But Hmm. that idea is kind of going away. And the line between those two is blurred now. And I don't know if I could tell you the difference. Um, Yeah, it really is just like you mean to to kill them mm-hmm. but it's something that comes up very quickly and it's not something you had time to really plan out okay. it's essentially what it is you uh i think you didn't quite say how satisfied you were with the result at the end um and i used the word happy at first but yeah, yeah you pointed out that's a shitty word to use as, <laughs> as satisfied as i could be i feel like we came to a, we came to a unanimous consensus on every charge again i had some reluctance to play a role in another black guy going to prison but that's overcome by my desire, you know, my desire to keep somebody dangerous off the streets. And the thing is, this guy is like 30 when he did this. As somebody who was 30 only a few years ago, I can tell you that 30-year-olds are fucking dumb. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not so dumb that they can't be responsible for their actions. But I like to think I get a little older and wiser every year. I get a lot older every year, maybe a little wiser. <laughs> um, and if he, if he was only 30, you know, he, he's had very little life so far. The outcome is tragic, even if it's the best outcome, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm able to sleep at night with every charge that we decided he was guilty for. Yeah. The investigator for the, for the public defender's office called. She asked a handful of questions, but there were a couple that I wrote down. One, she asked if there's any serious consider- consideration as to whether or not it was the girlfriend. And I said, actually, tons. But we were told that complicity is the same. When we talked about him doing it, we actually used him and the girlfriend's name, the current girlfriend, independent or uh, interchangeably. Okay. Because it was like, it doesn't actually matter which, you know, she could have been in the car. She could have not have been, you yeah. know, she could have fired the gun. Who, who cares? Right. Uh, he was complicit. The one that I liked, she asked, would it have changed anything if the, ten- if, if the defendant had testified? Hmm. And I told her that the investigator that I can't say that without knowing what his testimony would have been. Hmm. 
Okay. Right? That's a good point. Like, if he had given us an alternate series of events, yeah, man, uh, the ex-girlfriend called me and said she was framing me, and here's how she did it. That would have been super compelling, mm-hmm. right? But we didn't get anything like that. But as a group, we were unable to invent a plausible testimony that he could have given that would have exonerated him. One of the things, just like considering if I were to accuse you of kicking a dog before a lesser arm meetup, it'd be one thing to say, fuck you, that's rude, I'm not answering that, right? Mm-hmm. Once I've got you in a courtroom, and for you to stick to those principles of like, I don't engage fla- you know, flagrant slander like that, this is no longer flagrant slander, right? You'd be like, okay, I'm prepared now to say he's lying, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. I wasn't there for the trial. It sounds like um, you have taken, taken a dangerous person out of society, which is always a great thing in my opinion. I believe we did too. Yeah. But like... Doesn't that kind of imply that his going to jail or not was limited by how great your guys' imagination is? I suppose. But maybe it's supposed to be. I mean, the thing is, like, once I heard the testimony, once the trial was finished, before we delivered it all, Mm -hmm. I was pretty sure he was guilty of at least some of it, Mm -hmm. right? But pretty sure it was not beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Mm -hmm. I was was still swayable on everything. And if anyone came in there sure that he did it into the deliberation room, mm-hmm. I, w- I would have been kind of annoyed if I learned that, right? Mm. We shouldn't be sure of anything yet. We haven't talked about it. I always kind of think back to like in ancient times, if someone were to like say, well, thunder is because of Thor. And I'd be like, you don't have any evidence for that. Why would you think that? I'm like, well, do you have a better story? I'm like, no, I'm dumb. I can't come up with good <laughs> stories, but I don't think it's Thor. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that circumstance, there's enough explanations that it could be... It could be Zeus instead. Right. Like that. So like that's enough room for reasonable doubt that it's Thor. Yeah. Right. But in this case, there was nothing. We couldn't think of anything, man. It was like, it was just interesting. And like I said, just being told explicitly to disregard what is clearly evidence was just an interesting experience. Not something that I think we had trouble doing. I think we're all really diligent about doing that. And what was fun was like a couple times before the trial is actually over, we still get sent to that jury room for every little break. That's like not longer than 30 minutes. Um, and we would just shoot the shit. You know, what do you do for work? You know, what are you studying in school? Yada, yada. But then there were a couple times where, in fact, one of the person was asking, like, why do you think that the ex-girlfriend hasn't testified yet? Or the current girlfriend? Do you think that she's going to be coming up? Do you think that she's... And I was like, hey, not to, like, narc. We can't talk about this. And I, so, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to narc, but I think this is a narc setting. Like, we're not, we're not, we're not to consider the courtroom. Let's, let's, let's keep talking about our pets. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of agents of the state around here. Yeah. It wasn't even that. I'm pretty sure that room is, you know, isolated. It's just like, we're not supposed to, and we're not supposed to for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And even though we're not here trying to convince each other of anything, let's just play it safe. The rules are there for a reason, right? What do you think about complicity being the equivalent of being the, the person who did the crime? Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm for it sometimes and against it others. I mean, that, so one, one thing that you learn in law school, like criminal law, that one of the very first basic introduction is going to include uh, a discussion of Pinkerton, uh, that case. And that case is a head fuck. It, it's a basically conspiracy um, case. Uh, I think it was had to do with moonshining or, or, or drug smuggling or some, some sort of uh, illegal substance. Would this have been at the turn of the 1900s? No, it's it wasn't that long ago. It was probably... 1970s. Uh, I was hoping it was the Pinkertons from the Red Dead Redemption <laughs> games, but alas. <laughs> it might be the reference. I don't mm-hmm. know. But, uh, um, you know, there's um, one of the brothers, I believe, of the of the gang. or I don't remember the facts very well. We're talking eight years ago now. But he wasn't there for much of what was going on. He wasn't aware that it was happening, but still was found guilty of all the crimes 
even though just because he had a vague awareness. So basically, he agreed to take part, but never did anything to further it. It wasn't there, didn't know it was even going on, and was still found guilty because he had been, he agreed to it. Now, that's conspiracy. It's not quite the same thing as complicity, but it's pretty close. You're really um, starting to get squishy when you say, you know, you did one little thing, and now you're guilty of everything that happens. But it does speak to the seriousness of what these things are. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's easy for us to just debate it. But when you're talking about like the actual taking of a person's life, like how serious that is when it's like, think about that. Like you have a, a text message you're about to send that says, yes, kill that guy. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's fucking serious, you know? And it's so easy to just, to not think of it that way. But, but it's a huge deal that you're actually agreeing to that type of thing or that you're helping you know, uh, we don't have uh, aiding and abetting in this country really anymore. You're just guilty of the crime substantively if you help. The only exception is if you hide evidence afterwards. That's accessory after the fact. But generally, if you help with a crime, you're going to be convicted of it. And it is is because some of this shit is very fucking serious. So complicity, I'm torn. Sometimes I think it makes a ton of sense. And then other times I, I think that you may be overreaching as far as what is punishable activity. We don't want people to just be punished for, we, we want people to actually make a substantive effort towards the commission of a crime and, and mm-hmm. in order to be punished, not just some minor action. And, and therefore you're guilty of all this other shit that you never agreed to or never thought would happen, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's case by case. And like, I've, I've been complicit in some crimes, like, and they're all past statute of limitations, I'm sure, by this point. But, like, my first apartment, I had a friend come over. He'd been growing weed at his place. And he brought over, like, two of those 15-gallon plastic drums from Walmart, you know, like that used to move. Yeah. Full of pot. Oh, shit. And they were, they were, breaking, this, they were breaking this whole harvest on my kitchen table. Wow. And I come in and kind of do, like, that, that Grandpa Simpson thing when he goes to the brothel <laughs> and just takes his hat off, sees his grandson, turns around, grabs his, son, grabs his hat, and just leaves. Yeah. And so, like, I knew what they were doing. I was like, I'm not party to this. However, I'm complicit because I knew it was there, but it seems like in that case it would be insane to charge me with like selling drugs or whatever. Right. So like that, that I, I think I'm following what you're saying. Like, it seems like that'd be too far at that point. Like I, I, I helped the crime happen by not calling the police, mm-hmm. but like, I didn't like, I didn't help them do it. Yeah. To be clear, that wouldn't be complicity. Oh, really? No, legally that wouldn't be. You're oh. not, you're not actually acting in any further. And so if I'm understanding your hypothetical, cause you're not actually, the fact that you didn't call the police, you don't have a duty to call the police other oh, than good. in uh, cases of, uh, if you suspect that assault of a child has happened, then you do have an affirmative duty, but you don't have an affirmative duty to, to call the police. Oh, good. Not even if there's an assault, assault of an adult or attempted murder of an adult? No. Huh. Only if you suspect, if you had like basically probable cause to believe that assault of a child is going on, then you do have to inform somebody. But okay. otherwise, nope. That was, that actually came up a lot. We asked what the main investigator, I asked twice of two different people, were, did anyone else call her to report gunshots? Mm-hmm. And the first one didn't know. And the second one said they didn't think so, but they didn't know either. Okay. But it's like, this is a, this is a high crime neighborhood. People don't call to report gunshots. Yeah. Like I've worked here, I've worked this beat, this area for six years. And like, you know, what another juror asked, like, how come you didn't go door to door asking for witnesses? They just said that they didn't. Yeah. I don't actually think that question was, was read to them. I think that one was rejected by one of the, one of the lawyers, but like asking you, why didn't you do something? I think maybe goes beyond the purview of what we're, we're asked. We're, we're I think allowed to ask for like clarifying questions or whatever, but mm-hmm. I can also see in general, just like 
if you hear gunshots, why didn't you call the police? Like, what are you going to do? Like, hello, somewhere within earshot of where I am, someone fired some kind of weapon. Like, I don't know if that helps anyone in any way. It depends on how common gunshots are in your neighborhood. Have you ever heard gunshots here? I did once, actually. This is this is why this came to mind. This is a very low crime area. But like a month ago, I think it was, I don't know, 11 p.m. or something. We just heard something and we were like, is that gunshots? Totally sounded like gunshots. But it was like somewhere off in the distance. It was kind of echoey. And we're like, this could be miles away. What 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 is the point of calling the cops who would... When would they get here? Do we, what direction do we even point them in? We don't know. Yeah. Somewhere in the radius of earshot of a gunshot, someone fired a gun. I think what I'll do from now on, because I've heard at my last place at least once or twice there were gunshots, just like the apartment complex over. Mm. Um, I think what I would do now, I don't think I called the cops for the gunshots then. Maybe I did on one occasion. I think I'd do now is I'd call and say, hey, just calling to say I heard gunshots. I live here. It's this time. Just so it's in the record. If anyone needs... A second set of ears on this in a year or two. You've no, you've got my word that I that I I also heard it happen. But I imagine they didn't they didn't go door to door canvassing for witnesses because they probably told you know get the door slammed in their face. You know we're not talking to you cops, right? Right, right. If this is a place where people don't like cops already, like I get it. But complicity. So if you were like, hey Stephen, put on these uh, uh, these shoes that add six inches of height in this wig, and go take my debit card to this ATM with a camera. <laughs> Uh, at 11 o'clock on Saturday, mm-hmm. no questions asked, mm-hmm. and you're going to go off and commit a crime. Mm-hmm. It seems like I'm party to the crime, even though I have no idea what you're doing. You know, right? Yeah. There's some level of like my involvement that I'm I'm helping you commit a crime, even though I'm not there hitting the person or whatever it is you're doing. Right? Yeah. If I hire you to go rob a bank, I'm like, hey, don't kill anybody while you're in there. That's explicit in the text message instructions you received. Don't shoot anybody. Yeah. But you kill somebody. Right. That's still on me. Yes. You know, even though I'd said not to. <laughs> I Like, hey, look, officer, I said no. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but the thing is, they wouldn't be dead if you didn't tell them to go in there and rob the bank. Yeah. So I, I think I get why it's, why it's the case in some cases. But in others, I, I think it is like a stretch to say, yeah, you know, you lived with somebody that you knew sold drugs. And you, if the cops came to the door, you made sure to hide stuff, you know, out of, out of line of sight before you opened the door or something. You know, that might be complicity. But... I don't know. I wanted to, before we move past this, jury nullification. Mm. And what was the other phrase? that, you, Or was it just that? Just jury nullification. I've heard, like, if you even say the phrase or acknowledge that you know that it exists during Vaudier, they... Vaudier? Vaudier. Some people say it differently. It's, okay. But, yeah. During Vaudier, that they just kick you right off. They're like, nope. We can't have someone who knows about jury nullification be on a jury. So is that true? And what is jury nullification? So jury notification is uh, just essentially that you won't listen to the evidence. You're just going to essentially try to get the case dismissed, like either a hung jury or a not guilty verdict, no matter what the evidence is. Uh, No, it's not true that if you know about it, that they'll kick you off. I mean, you will see, like, I don't think they have them at the courthouse where you were at, Stephen, but, um, you know, there, there are pamphlets in these courthouses that have info on jury notification in them i mean it's it's not it's it's an open it's it's not a secret you know it's just that if you bring it up during voir dire Mm -hmm. that you would do that or would think about doing it you will you will be struck yeah because they the whole point of everything that they're doing is listening to the evidence and deciding whether based on that evidence you committed the crimes charged and if you're just not going to do that well, then we're just not, we're going to say adios can you be in trouble for saying that to the court though no so it sounds like 
again, I, I, I think that this was a very valuable experience. I'll never forget it. Anyone who gets selected, you should do it. You should see how things work behind behind these behind the scenes in the in our justice system. But if someone really didn't want to, they do ask the jurors like you know kind of round robin one at a time or whatever. But you're also encouraged to raise your hand if you have like a particularly uh, strong feelings towards an answer or something. And if it was like you know how do you feel about cops' testimony, and someone just raised their hand and said, you know what, I don't believe in sending anyone to prison ever. This is a joke. I refuse to participate. Isn't that their golden ticket just to never have to serve jury duty? Well, you definitely would be kicked off that day. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you know. Um, so, you, I mean, it would work. It's just that like. People, I think, A, don't want to be that brazen if they don't truly believe it. Most people I don't think are that – I don't think that reflects most people's true belief. But even if they did believe it, I think it's just hard because you're – one thing that, you know, it doesn't maybe click talking about this here, but you're in a group of 80 or so people in that room and it's very serious. There are cops. There's a defendant. There's the attorneys. Everyone is, you know, dressed to the nines. It's hard to to say those kinds of things out loud. It's hard to to be the kind of like fly in the ointment like that. Um, some people do it. I've seen it, but it's it's rare. Most people, I think, feel that social pressure to not be that kind of jerk off. Essentially, I don't remember my source on this, but I recall hearing that um, the thing you said about uh, charges for like killing someone if you found them committing adultery with your wife or whatever it was. The fact that they're so much lighter was because historically. They initially attempted to treat it like any other murder, and juries just wouldn't find the guys guilty. They'd be like, no, man, the they dude found his wife cheating. Of course he was going to kill both of them, not guilty. And uh, eventually the court systems was like, well, we got to do something to discourage this sort of murderous behavior. So we're going to go for lighter charges instead. So it was basically a jury nullification changing the laws. I mean, that's possible. I, I honestly have never heard that, but I'm not. Uh, that, that makes some sense to me, I guess. I'm glad we've moved away from that as a society. Yeah. Uh, away from... Away from you can get away with murder as long as your wife was cheating or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we, we talked with uh, Yassine about... I guess this might be some sort of jury nullification. Prosecution won't... Is, like, more reluctant to press charges for, like, you know, small amounts of drugs because jury, mm. juries were just like, well, yeah, sure, we, we all think as a group that he did it, but we don't care mm-hmm. that he had a gram of cocaine on him. Y'all mm-hmm. can go fuck yourselves. And we vote, we vote not guilty. Yeah. In response to public pressure via the juries, that way they've just stopped pressing charges for those lighter crimes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's actually kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you share that sentiment or not, but... No, I mean, for, I mean, for small possession charges, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd rather that not be something that is clogging up our system and causing people unnecessary pain because they still can carry fairly severe consequences. Even a small amount of cocaine, you know, is, is can be a, a felony. So it's a drug felony um, in Colorado as opposed to a regular felony, but it's, it, it definitely can be. It depends on how much you have. I think it has to be at least two grams, but um, or maybe still four. not a lot. It's two grams, I think of meth and four of cocaine. It's something like that, but See, it's not a lot. Yeah. It's I have no lot. idea how much of this, how much of you need to get small. high. So I'm like, is this like enough for me for a weekend or is this enough to like, fuel a party how addicted are you (laughs) right yeah i I, I like the idea especially for like light charges i can imagine that being a double-edged sword where it's like well i guess this just depends on like the jury being like more malicious than benevolent you know it's like we don't care what the charge is if it's a if it's a hispanic person we're gonna vote guilty because we as a community hate hispanic people or something that would be a nightmare and yeah i think that's part of you know jury selection trying to avoid that nonsense so nullification is just saying i've decided as a juror i'm going to prevent uh, verdict from coming from our deliberations 
Essentially, yeah. I mean, trying to more so on the non-conviction side. I'm not going to allow this person to get convicted. Gotcha. Ignoring evidence, ignoring the process, and and just trying to essentially prevent any verdict from from happening or a guilty verdict. And so, if if when we were deliberating, if if like one guy was just gung ho, it's like no, I think he I think he deliberated. I think he tried to kill this guy, and we couldn't shake him from that. And he was he was like, no, I insist that's guilty. And the rest of us insisted that it wasn't. You had said that if if we were hung on one of the charges, they could dismiss the all of our verdicts. It, they could. They would ask the attorneys if they want to accept the verdicts on the other charges, not knowing what they are, and declare mistrial on that count, or declare mistrial in total and start the case over and basically have a new jury hmm. months out. They definitely didn't tell us that. No, they um, don't tell you a lot of stuff. I wonder if that would have impacted our behavior, actually. You think you would have been more likely to split on certain charges? Yes. There was one person, she was like the other way about it. You know, the the, the foreman was like, you know, I have guns, I fire guns, I'm, I'm trained, I, I understand the gravity of them. And the other one is like, she was like, I don't have guns. I think that they're they're dangerous. No one should have them around. She was of the opinion that like if if you if you have a gun and you shoot it, you, there's no way you're not like a dangerous you know society threatening sociopath. Mm-hmm. I'm putting too many words in her mouth, but that if that was her position, if she had been firmer in that, she might have been like, no, he's guilty of everything. Like, of course he tried to kill them both. He shot a gun in there, right? Right. Just not entirely unreasonable. So you're saying that if um if we were split on one charge, the attorneys are allowed to deliberate if they would rather except the other verdicts that we have. Yeah. Are they known do they know which charge we're split on? Uh yes, they'll know which uh, which charges that are would be declared a mistrial, but they don't know what the verdicts on the non-split charges are. Okay, that makes sense. I think it would be pretty obvious if you guys were split on the most serious charge though that he's probably yeah. The result is probably guilty on all the lesser charges. Probably. Maybe, yeah. but it depends if they're substantively different or not. Because yeah. some of them, it's um, like there are lesser included offenses where it's like this is crime that includes element X, Y, Z. And then there's the lesser that's just X and Y, no Z. Hmm. Obviously, then if you found, if you're looking at the higher charge than the lesser charge, you probably found it. But hmm. um, yeah, but sometimes it's a lesser charge, but they're not actually lesser included. So it's possible that there's one fact in there that's switched up. That means that you might find a not guilty on it's in the defense's interest to always hold out for a mistrial if they think there's any guilty charges, right? I, I would say so, yes. Because cases are rarely retried, right? They just toss them out and they're like... No, they're they're retried. I mean, um, it's not um, something people want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of like, we went through this whole thing. I, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there, there have been... I mean, I've seen it where prosecutors get really angry that you are, you know, you, there's a mistrial and now they're going to try the case again. They try to add charges the mm. second time around and make it even more severe this time around because they, they're like, I want this gone. Like, I, I want this done. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they will go to retrial. Yeah, it depends on how serious it is. The more serious, the more likely it is. The retrials aren't actually that uncommon. Yeah, and then there has to be no plea negotiation that leads to a plea agreement in between the first trial and second trial, which means you're you know, you're already you're like doubling up the light, the unlikelihood of a trial because plea negotiations are now going on twice, basically. But uh, it does happen. But it is, yeah, it's not it's not super common. Anyway, thanks for letting me get all this out. I don't know how how fun this was to listen to, but it was it's been it's been pent up for a while. So let me just say, as a as an attorney listening to 
a, a jury that went through what you went through, like how you went about deciding this case, that's like a dream for hmm. a defense attorney. That that's you guys good. were very thorough, uh, very thoughtful, uh, attacked the prosecution's case from every conceivable angle that you thought was reasonable. That is all we can hope for, really. Um, so, I mean, I think you, uh, I don't know if you, if you care one way or the other, it seems like you do at least a little bit, um, that, uh, I think you did a fantastic job, you know, I really and appreciate hearing that jurors like you are, um, are, are, I just wish that everyone was like that. You know? Everyone in the room seemed that way. I mean, I could imagine a couple of the lazier ones that like the one guy was just hoping that it would be over quickly so he could go back to work. I could imagine if the, all 12 of us were like that, it would have been faster. Again, the judge thought it was going to be done by Thursday. And maybe he didn't think the trial would run all the way to the end of Wednesday. He goes by but, um, what the prosecutors essentially tell him. Because the prosecutors, uh, they put on the majority of the evidence. I'm sure mm -hmm. you noticed. Uh, I mean, it might not have been the case, but probably was the case that the prosecutor like presented 75 to 95 percent of the evidence. And then when and it got to the defense. 100% of the witnesses. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I, I mean, so it's. There's it's their case, so they will estimate how much time it's going to take, and the judge goes, "Okay, that seems right to me." And then he he probably ballparked about a day for deliberation or whatever. Yeah. But now we took you know almost twice that. We again wanted to make sure we were thorough, and I I'm I'm glad to hear that that's the way that it should be because you know at the end of the day, it seems like that this guy did it, but it's like we all wanted to be sure beyond a reasonable doubt. Like you're instructed not to care, not to concern yourself with the sentencing. You know that's that's mm -hmm. not part of your guys's job. Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that we're not all aware of the fact that this guy's going to go to prison, right. right? We actually considered not guilty for the illegal discharge of a firearm, but guilty for everything else. Okay. Because, you know, if the encouragement was the green light that he put out publicly to his, uh, his group mm -hmm. saying anyone who gets the opportunity to go assault her, the, the gun thing might've been totally incidental, right? We, had, we tried to entertain everything plausible, but the fact that he had Smith and Wesson 40 cal bullet Ooh. box in his, uh, in his underwear drawer, uh, and those were the same shells found at the scene. It just seemed too un improbable. I also, I think legal discharge of a firearm in that kind of case is a total bullshit charge. That's a charge for like, it's if you're shooting on. into the ground, like if you're actually shooting at somebody, get the fuck out of here with that minor charge. Charge them with the murder. It's kind of interesting that it was brought up at all. Cause yeah, I mean, what's, what's the punishment for shooting a gun illegally? I'm sure it depends on a ton of factors. Oh, I don't know. It's it's it, probably a what was it a class one misdemeanor or a class six felony or something like that. I don't think it says what they were like. What kind of charges? Uh, it doesn't say misdemeanor. I think a felony on the things that we got. It's. I mean, the max is probably like a year, and you wouldn't get nearly anything close to that. Yeah, I'd have to think like you know if you were in your basement doing target practice and your neighbor right. could hear and called, and it's like, look, I was shooting into concrete backed by a steel plate. I knew my neighbor wasn't in any danger. It seems like it would be hard to get you in too much trouble for it. But yeah, it is kind of weird that it was thrown there with like, also he tried to kill two people. <laughs> and he did it He did it while doing something illegal. <laughs> Count 12 jaywalking. Right. <laughs> yeah, he sped away. That's a $10 <laughs> ticket. Right. Yeah, that, that, there's that video game trope. Uh, what uh, Murder, arson, and jaywalking. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like no matter what law you break in a video game, all the guards descend on you with all their power if you do, you know, if you lift something from a store or shoot somebody in the face. Okay. Yeah. Do you got anything to, at the end here? No, I mean, that's that's it. I just wanted to say that uh, I think you did a fantastic job. And I know that it was it was hard, I, you know, based on what you've said. Uh, but, um, you know, we appreciate it. We really do. Thanks, man. That shit is hard. And it takes a lot of 
time. I mean, a lot of your day-to-day life was disrupted for it. So it's yeah. greatly appreciated and that you took it as seriously as you did. You well, have done it, a good service to society. Yeah. And like I said, I, I get how it's a huge imposition on a lot of people and stuff. And if it'll, if it'll wreck your life or wreck your month or whatever, I get trying to get out of it. But it was valuable. And I think it's important. Again, not, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like too much like I'm sucking the justice, justice system's dick too hard. But like, <laughs> I just love the idea that it's not the judge gets the story from both sides and gets to pick. Like, that would suck. Yeah. Uh, and now you got to convince 12 of your neighbors. And I say neighbors, even though, like, some people came from Bennett or whatever, which is like an hour and a half out into the middle of nowhere, Colorado. No shit. But it, I think it's still at the perimeter of Arapahoe County or something. Right. But it's it's approximately your your community, right? Yeah. I, I just, I like the idea. I don't know if, I don't know if the United States invented jury by your peers, but whoever did get a high five. I think it comes from English common law. Yeah, I think it's older. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do like that it's a thing that we have around here, so. Well, Shall we move on to less strong posts? All right, yeah. Let's uh, let's move over to less strong posts. Well, this week the first of the less strong posts we're talking about is empty labels. Eliezer talks about um, classes of things and the the qualities of the things we're talking about, and he doesn't go like into terms like spherical, blue, fuzzy as he did before, but just reduces it down to A, B, C, D. Really simple things. It says Aristotelian classes work purely on structures like A, C, D. To call one of these structures Zawa or attach any other label to it is a human convenience. Then points out that let's say that human is to be defined as a mortal, featherless biped. Then the classic syllogism would have the form, all mortals, not feathers, bipedal, are mortal. Socrates is a mortal, not feathers, bipedal. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. And this feat of reasoning looks a lot less impressive when you when phrased that way. Yeah, it's uh, like, yeah, you, the things you defined to have those properties have those properties. It says that this illusion of inference comes from the labels which conceal the premises and pretend to novelty in the conclusion. I, I, I skimmed the comments, not to, not to jump to the end here, but, you know, some people were like, I feel like you're being too hard on Aristotle. And mm-hmm. like, why are you grinding against him so hard? Mm-hmm. And his reply is basically like, it's not Aristotle in particular. It's It's the influence on like what people considered rationality after that yeah. you know that lasted thousands of years i feel like that's that's the huge problem but it is kind of funny it's like you know because today if an aristotelian uh logician were to present that proof to me that socrates all men are mortal socrates is man therefore socrates is mortal i'd be like what do you mean like that socrates is a man what do you mean by mortal and how do you, how do you know that all men are mortal right mm-hmm. All obvious now, but in Aristotle's time, huge A for effort. It got a, it got a long way from from you know <laughs> from zero to to the speed that he got. But it's like that's that's not the end of how reason how good reasoning can get. Quick question: Should you say I went to Chipotle with Aristotle, or I went to Chipotle with Aristotle? <laughs> <laughs> I do say Chipotle sometimes for fun. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, Chipotle with Aristotle sounds a lot better. I okay. get that. Chipotle with Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever get an opportunity to. Talk with like an actual philosopher. I'll always say Aristotle on like, <laughs> and Socrates, like yeah. they did in Bill and Ted. Yeah, yeah. Plato. <laughs> All right. He says that uh, there's an idea which you may have noticed. I hate that you can define a word any way you like. You think he still feels that way? Yes. Okay. Probably more so, especially because most of my stuff, you know, from him is like the sequences and, and method rationality. He seems like a pretty like chipper and upbeat guy. Yeah, but those are like 15 years old now. Well, methods isn't that old. Okay. Uh, but, you know, but my thing is, I feel like now he's a bit grumpier. Mm. And so I think if, if to say that he ha- if he hates anything, more, I think it's more now than he used to. Okay. I think back then it used to annoy him. He's like, now it's what's got us to where we are, goddammit. Now we're <laughs> counting the minutes. Um, not the minutes, but, you know, the years. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not making a joke so much as 
you know what I mean? I'm, I'm being good natured about that. Yeah. Uh, I take I take his concerns very seriously. But it's like if you guys weren't too busy fucking jerking each other around about intelligence versus capabilities versus yada yada, it's like no, just how dangerous are, how dangerous are these things? How powerful are they? And don't concern yourselves with you know the edges of the, of those definitions, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it says intelligence has to come from a squishy meat brain. Well, you know what? Then fuck you, right? Like mm-hmm. I I think I would have less patience for those the longer I made that point. In fact, the longer I made that point, the more annoyed I got in the course of 90 seconds. So okay. I think if I was making that point for 15 years, I'd be more annoyed about it, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're beating the same drum for 15 years, do you think you'd get more angry or just tired? Just tired? Yeah, I, I, I think it'd be both. I think, I, just... I think he's, honestly, it seems like he's a little bit more mellow in his videos nowadays where he talks with people because he's just like, well, this is what it's going to be like. <laughs> and so he's like, sit down, walk people through the thing. He's like, yep, I, I understand. You have all these objections like everyone else does. And I'm just going to go through them with you. Like, I was surprised by how um, that video we talked about last time, which I don't remember who the other guy was, the accelerationist guy. It just, he never like lost his cool or anything. He's just like, yep, let's talk about these things the way you're talking about them. I did. I so I didn't listen to it on the drive to Four Collins that day, mm-hmm. but I did on the drive on the way back because I was bored, mm-hmm. and I got forty five minutes into it yeah. before I troubled myself to find something else to listen to while on the highway. Yeah, because I'm like, got- I'm, I'm going to find something else while driving to change it from what I'm listening to because this is so not fun. There is nothing here. Yeah. yeah. All right. The last thing he says in here that I pulled out is if you're going to have an Aristotelian proverb at all, the proverb should be definitions don't need words. Sure, that was an interesting point. I like that it, it's a nice bumper sticker. I mean, and he, he does kind of break it out. But what, what, what does that mean, right? Like you can point to the properties a thing has and you don't necessarily need words. Right. You yeah. can have just the, the characteristics. Yeah. He used this whole post without saying bleg or rube. Yeah. And he didn't actually even use any of the characteristic names. He broke it all the way down to just letters as symbols for it, right? Yeah. And, but it's like, yeah, we, again, if, if we're all going to sit here and argue about what intelligence means... Then we don't we don't need to use the word intelligence. We mm-hmm. can just use the words that we're we can use the words you're arguing over, right? Yeah. yeah. Which brings us nicely to our next next post. Taboo your words. A hugely influential post. Um, I guess like just this entire sequence is sort of about this, and taboo is the word that came out of it that we use uh, in our society as to what we're doing here. But the interesting thing about this, I did not remember this part. I thought taboo was taken from. The, the cultural practice of, you know, certain things are taboo. They are not to be talked about or touched or whatever. Uh, it, it comes from the game Taboo by Hasbro. Yeah. Which I, I remember that, playing. I think that's where they got the name for the game. Well, yes. Yeah, but he got it from the yeah from the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know he knows the origin of the game's name as well. But, yeah. like, he just says, like, yeah, play the game of Taboo when you are when you are discussing these things. Like that's that's neat. I remember the game thing because he gives it. He gives the example. You might get your partner to say baseball without using the words sport, bat, hit, pitch, base, or of course baseball. He says, as soon as I see a problem like that, I at once think an artificial group conflict in which you use a long wooden c- cylinder to whack a thrown spheroid, then run between four safe positions. Which well, is... I remember specifically when I first read that, I was like, "You thought of that immediately? <laughs> like that's not fair." Well, it would, take, he... it would take me a minute and a half, two minutes to think of something, to think of, of of a full sentence like that that was that descriptive. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, go back and read the four words that are tabooed, or the five words that are tabooed. Every he used 
it's like a cinema short description of every single one of oh, those words yeah but but i i just when he says i i at once think i remember that striking at me i was like oh that would have taken me effort you thought you thought of that at once yeah. so i remember the game origin into this from my first time reading it okay that is the point of the game right but it's like that that almost sort of defeats the point if you make it that easy as as one might say it violates the spirit of the game but not the letter of the not the rules of the game <laughs> right that's called technique that's right <laughs> For example, the whole does the tree make a sound in the forest? If they replace what they mean by sound with auditory experience or vibrations in the air, then there's no conflict. On the other hand, if they replace the word in the Socrates syllogism, Socrates matches the concept, this person will die after drinking hemlock, versus Socrates matches the concept, this person will not die after drinking hemlock, then they actually have a substantive clash of expectations, which is what you want to find out. Like, do we actually have a clash of what we expect to see in the real world when we have a disagreement yeah and look at that we can test it mm. uh we can have him drink hemlock we can put a you know it and, that, and that's the thing is like with albert and barry if you know uh the the sound in the forest you know does it need a listener or not once they like articulate what it is they're talking about instead of like arguing about what sound means mm. they they like oh yeah we have no difference of expect so they, they don't need to conduct an experiment they realize that they've dissolved their confusion right yeah. Whereas if, if you actually think Socrates had survived, it's like, all right, well, all right, drink up, buddy. We're going to do a science at you, right? Yeah. Yeah. They might keep arguing if there was some compelling reason to have sound mean one specific thing, like a tax incentive if it means one thing or another, or social proof of, of goodness if it means one thing or another. But uh, if all you want to know is what can we expect out of reality, then you don't need to keep arguing. Like a vaguely culture war example, because I, I dislike, I, cause you say taxes, and they're like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. They'll, they'll argue anything to make it fit into the definition of like charity or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, me buying this $200 million painting for my best friend, that was charity. Right. right. Um, but like a bad example is, you know, anyone who, who defines the word racist as anyone who treats racist differently for any reason under any circumstance, right, right. they're going to say that's racist. What if the only way I treat racists differently is if I give black homeless people twice as much money as anyone else? Eh, you racist. Might be kind of racist. But I mean, is, but someone that that does not fit with what someone tries to mean when they use the word racist, right? Depends on the person. I I I suppose, but not the person that I'm imagining arguing with. Okay, right? okay. Like they they think not a person that you would argue with, right. most likely. Yeah, I don't know. I would think that's kind of racist. I I can't think it would make me uh, bad in the way that someone accusing someone of racism typically speaks okay. right mm. like they usually mean like oh you're you're prejudiced you know you're whatever, well usually right? when they say racist they mean racist against black or brown people yeah but i mean I, I could even make a case where it's like yeah i give twice as much to black and brown people because i anticipate other people are giving them less okay right so, so you're trying to make up for other people's racism right. with counter racism like i not even i suppose you could call it counter racism or just like giving to where i feel like i could do the most good okay, okay. like if i actually felt that way yeah, or, I see, or I if see. i or say if i had had great survey data of, you know people who gave money to beggars in new york or something right 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 and it's like oh look at that people give a third as much to to hispanic beggars as they do to white beggars i should give two-thirds as much that or I, should, I should give uh what uh three times as much right mm -hmm. um like just just to counterbalance that. I mean, honestly, you shouldn't ever give money to beggars. I know, but I'm just, okay. I'm just, I'm just somebody, <laughs> it just encourages more begging. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just arguing with somebody who, in my head, like somebody who uses a dumb definition of racism. Okay. My my, my main thing actually, the, it's not the the begging thing. It's people who say that if you have have any results whatsoever on an implicit association test. Oh, okay. And it's like that is there's such a huge difference between having and I, I i'm sure i know i took them back in school i don't remember any of my results i'm sure i had some but it's like there's such a difference between that and being like man i hate those brown and black people yeah like it 
if you have an implicit bias where it's like, oh yeah, you're seven seconds, seven sevenths of a second slower to associate positive terms with a black face or something, mm-hmm. and you're aware of that, and you're trying to correct for that in your own, and you're trying to be a better person, that is so importantly removed from like actual racism that you want to stop right yeah. that yeah. that's like literally trying to find racism in people so you can accuse them of racism yeah yeah and, and you, you you can even be a little bit more sur- surgical and say you know um it's not just that i you know because i got this score on the implicit association test that i hate black and brown people but that i even treat them differently hmm. you know because that's that's all it would take for a racist you know for to be racist but at the same time, just because you score that on the implicit association test doesn't mean you're even doing that, you know. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you don't have to go as far as saying I, I hate them to to still like be annoyed that people would just take that, you know, conclusion from your implicit association test scores. Yeah, well, and it, it, it's like we talked about with um, you know, this because this, I was going to say another place where, where definitions and words really really matter is the law, mm-hmm. right? You know, it is the guy that that we concluded was guilty of attempted murder via ex- extreme indifference. It, he's now an attempted murderer, mm-hmm. right? That's a serious label to have on somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, and it that that actually like the the definition of what extreme indifference means. You know, that was actually super important. Although the words themselves weren't, that's actually important to Elias's point here. Is mm-hmm. like we we tossed those out and just say, look, what does that actually mean? We can quit saying. You know, if one of them was like knowingly, you know, it's like, well, what does knowingly mean? Forget it. Let's not talk about that. Let's look at the de- definition of knowingly, which doesn't use the word knowingly. And we'll fill in that long paragraph instead of the word. You actually did this in your deliberations? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I forget if it was for knowingly or if it was for some other specific single word that was tripping us up. Because the difference would have been like intending to do something versus it just happening versus your with your negligence or something. Mm-hmm. And I forget whether the word was intent or knowingly or whatever. But one of those words con- contained... The definition of it contained the other word in it. Mm. And so that's we started just subbing it out for that. We wouldn't read the whole paragraph every time, but we'd say, look here, just this is what we're talking about. This whole sheet. <laughs> uh, but to, to the point, yeah, it's like, forget the handle. If the handle's confusing, toss it out and just look at what you're pointing at. Right? Yeah. He points out the thing you picked up on much earlier about uh, this is useful because of people arguing whether artificial intelligence is really intelligent or whatever. He says, yeah, ask futurists to describe what they expect to see without ever using words like computers or think, and you might find quite a conflict of expectations. Uh, And the first line of defense is not to define your problematic terms, but to see whether you can think without using those terms at all. Which I think counts to what you were doing, like using subbing in the big thing instead. Yeah. So yeah, be careful not to use a new word instead. Describe outward observables and interior mechanisms. Don't use a single handle. And uh, finally here, as a thing you can do if you want to have fun on your own at home with some friends, describe what it is you think people do or do not have without using the word free will at all. <laughs> if you want to try this at home, you should avoid the words choose, act, decide, determined, responsible, or any of their synonyms. Yeah, that's a good at-home exercise. It's funny, when I first read these, I remember not feeling equipped to do that because I was just, at that time, I was like immersed in all like the fun philosophy stuff. I was pretty sure where I felt on that, but I didn't feel equipped for this exercise at all. Now mm-hmm. I feel like I we could knock it out here in 90 seconds. But it's it's funny because he says like don't make up new words. Mm-hmm. I know that from reading this, he's he he takes a lot of uh, enjoyment from Dan Dennett's philosophy and his writing. And so do I. But that guy makes up words left and right. But he he, he makes it clear that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. The word intuition pump or the phrase you know. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that he had a corollary for that called um, it's not like a sky crane. It's something else. But skyhook. Yeah, skyhook maybe. Okay. Where it's like this is the opposite. Like it's it's pulling it up, but there's it's not actually anchored to anything. So it's it's just. 
Yeah. But although that's not the opposite of uh, intuition pump, there was some opposite intuition pump. Okay. That he that he argued that um, I think John Searle didn't like the Chinese room experiment mm, or thought mm-hmm. experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thought that John Searle was John Searle Searle whatever the guy's first name was. Uh, he thought that he's using the opposite of an intuition pump. Okay. And I can't remember the word for it, but like bullshit like, factory, right? <laughs> bullshit factory. But yeah, no. He but Dennett makes up stuff left and right, and I like I like it because it's then you get fun new handles for long concepts, right? Yeah. But Scott it, Alexander does that a lot too, which yeah. is super handy. Yeah, so, sometimes it's handy. Mm-hmm. But but like if you and I are talking about if we're having the standard argument about sound, mm-hmm. if we replace it, all right, we're not going to use the word sound. We're going to use the word purple. That doesn't help anything. Right, doesn't help yeah. anything. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, for next time, we will be reading the less wrong posts. Replace the symbol with the substance and fallacies of compression. Fun on the button. Real quick before we go, we should also mention that if you want to become like Stephen and able to use rationality out in the real world to achieve great objectives, like uh, having good jury deliberations, uh, as our friend Justin has just said you were amazing at, you can join the Guild of the Rose, (laughs) an organization that helps all of us level up our rationality skills through a fun group dynamic and a lot of cool tools like the skill trees. I did not prepare this week for talking about this neither did i but i have been looking over they've got different skill trees for different aspects of life that i've been looking through those web pages mm-hmm. and they're all color-coded they look great and like it's really cool you yeah. know like one of them was like um i forget the name of the actual tree but it was maybe like socialization skill tree or something mm-hmm. and one of them was like all right here's your homework use your network name three objectives that you want to to accomplish and use your network to help accomplish those whether it's like get better at you know this kind of math or make 20 bucks or whatever right that's awesome um, yeah it's it's really cool every every aspect of this has been thought out mm-hmm. and uh you know the haphazard way that we do it is fun for conversational podcasts i, I like what we do i wouldn't change it mm-hmm. but we're not doing what they do if, you, if you're if you want to put this if you want to buckle down and actually level up you can only get so much listening to an awesome fun and engaging podcast like this that you should support on patreon absolutely you should, you should. <laughs> but you, you you could if you want to to level up at it this is where to do it yeah we've got we've we've for you know a while now had a much better place to point you than say read the sequences and follow these blogs it's like no join the guild of the rose do this for real and importantly once you've done it yourself you can start uh recommending to other people hey i did this thing you should do it too like for example fellow jury members if they want to learn how to get as awesome as you are at uh dissecting reality or you know you've been doing this for a couple years and your friends are asking you man how do you make twice as much money as you did two years ago you know why are you happier and healthier and what the hell it's like Mm. well i joined this thing that you know, I joined, I joined an online community called the Guild of the Rose. Cool. I, I was about to say, let's not fillet ourselves too hard. I, I'm not, except I, and I'm not twice as much, but when I was, we were in the alpha mm-hmm. and one of like the, the objectives I had, cause it was way less refined, you know, alpha is pre-beta. That's not, you know, that's pre, pre-release. Yeah. And one of the goals I had was like, make this much money, make mm-hmm. more than I'm making now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm making, um, 50% more than what I was aiming for then. Right. Cool. And that's, that's. Partly just career trajectory, but it's also because I've I've applied techniques to my life to, to better myself and to be be a better, more marketable employee, right? Awesome. So, yeah. so guildofthe and links in our show notes as always. That's right. And I did mention that we have a Patreon. Our special shout out this week or this episode. Mm. I say week every time. Mm. I mean, without it, fail, it is this week. Next yeah. week is a null week. <laughs> That's right. It is this week. The day you're listening to this. Yeah. Uh, our special shout out goes to Sebastian Ortega. Whom we owe a great deal of thanks for. Thank you for your support, and uh, hope this was fun for you. Yeah. Um, you help us to keep this going every every two weeks. Couldn't we do it keep, without you. You help help keep the kitty fed.
Aww. There, yeah. There's been a cat laying next to them or next to Inyash this whole time. Uh, it was, was, he was screaming before the show, and now he's, he wore himself out. He's been napping. So. <laughs> Those feline overlord tribute bits cost money. They do. If you want to hear how Stephen set off an alarm that evacuated the entire court building, you need to subscribe and get the premium content. It didn't evacuate anybody. Stephen. You <laughs> can't, can't lie about the, premium, the content of the premium content. Ah, all right. I, the, nobody had to get evacuated, but he did set off an alarm in the I court building. I did set off an alarm in the court building that people just had to talk over. You don't have to make it sound unexciting either, though. It was riveting. There we go. Yeah. Also, Justin, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We, we should have thanked you earlier. It was a pleasure to have you on and get to your expertise. No problem at all. I'll come back anytime. All right. Now you're committed. Huzzah. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you again in two weeks. Cool.